World's Finest Podcast, Episode 15. As always, I'm Michael Sims, and with me is James Doe. Guten Tag. Hey, hey how's it going? Uh, uh, normal, I guess. Yeah, your internet connection back up and running? Yeah, well, what I'm happened? Not, I don't know, it was my... Comcast kind of farted, I guess, I don't know. It's, <laughs> they just, it just went down there for about four or five hours, and the trucks came and fixed it the same day, though, so I guess I can't complain about that. Mm. So, other than that, not really a lot's going on. Yeah, mine's been acting a little wonky, too. The other day, I was, or maybe I wasn't, using a BitTorrent, and my download rate was maybe insanely high. You know, it was it was just going super fast. That's if I was using a BitTorrent, which I may or may not have been doing. Right. And then, a, like, a couple of days later, that being uh, yesterday and today, I was maybe using BitTorrent again, and I was downloading uh, 2KB a second. <laughs> I know. And it's like, what happened to my fast connection? You know, like, what the hell? <laughs> it all went away. I was so sad. But I'm not admitting to anything. No, no, no. I was I was downloading uh, uh, things that were in the public domain. That's what I was doing. Yes. Right. Uh-huh. Yes. Uh-huh. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I don't even remember what I was downloading, if you want the truth. Oh, oh well. Oh, you mean you weren't just speaking the truth for the last two minutes? Oh, no, no, no. I made that whole thing up. Yes, I, I have no idea. I've got myself turned around. I feel like fucking Bizarro. We should start this over and just, just do this all in Bizarro speak, if we haven't been already. Oh, yeah. Oh, fuck, fuck, fuck. Me, I'm pissed off to be doing this. <laughs> you got me, me there. I almost, I almost stopped you and said, why are you upset? <laughs> Oh, uh, fuck, it's late. <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah, we're two minutes in, and I'm already fucking up. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm speaking in perfect bizarro talk, so <laughs> what does that tell you about us? And, of course, one of my favorite moments of all time involves bizarro. Want to share? Uh, it's from The Great Brain Robbery. Am you bizarro's mommy? <laughs> <laughs> the only episode of Justice League I've never seen all the way through. Oh, Really? Yeah, that's because, a classic. Because on a BitTorrent that I may or may not have downloaded, <laughs> uh, the it was uh, fucked up. The oh. whole the whole last half of the uh, supposed file was corrupted. Yeah, maybe, 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 <laughs> perhaps. Ah, uh, enough of this. You want to get to some email? Yeah, let's do that. Okay. Before we twist our brains around and become bizarro. I know. I know. By the end of this, people are going to go, "Wait, did they give that episode an eight, or was that really a two? You know? <laughs> right. Well, they won't have to ask if we give it a five. Oh, my God. Now you're making things worse. <laughs> Read the emails, man. All right, all right. Our first email is from... This, I'm sorry, this is from James McGregor. Okay. Uh, hey, James and Mike. I've been a huge fan ever since you put this podcast on iTunes. Excellent. Very cool, very cool. I've been listening listening ever since. I wanted to let you know that I'm a huge Batman fan and grew up watching the original animated series. I love what you guys are doing and just wanted to share some thoughts. I thought it was great how critical you guys are when you grade these episodes. When I watch a Batman episode, I look at villain, storyline, and animation. And most of the time, those little nags slip past me. 
Every time I listen to an episode, I'll always go back and watch the show and notice things I've never noticed before. Keep up the good work, James. P.S. James, in one of the earlier episodes, you said there was a comic after-identity crisis where Batman says something along the lines of, I needed someone to trust, and instead, I got you. Well, that was from the graphic novel Batman Under the Hood, Volume 1. Great graphic novel. I love it. Batman seeks advice after rumors of Jason Todd's return begin to sprout. Thanks again. All right. I appreciate you uh, filling me in on that, because I remember what happened was I was reading the book at Borders, so, and I, yeah, I never, I don't know if I, I think I bought it. I might have it in my room, and I just don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing with me. I buy these graphic novels, and I don't read them. Straight paperbacks. Oh, oh I'm sorry. Oh, woo, I, oh that, that was a cough and a half. Or trade paperbacks, mm-hmm. as though they should be called. As, as some people rant about every so often, <clears throat> but I don't know who that is. <laughs> you know, I'll try and uh, stay uh, purist here, because the purist that I'm talking with right here would, would probably strangle uh-huh. me. <laughs> so, thank you very much for emailing, James. Good name, by the way. Yes, and uh, uh, that uh, Batman Under the Hood... Uh, graphic novel, trade paperback, <laughs> motherfucker. Um, <laughs> uh, I win. Oh, you all suck. Um, it's actually two volumes, and it's probably, I want to say it's one of the best Batman stories ever. Absolutely ever. Um, it's just it's just so emotional, and it's action-packed, and it's deep, and you don't know who to, who to side with. Do you side with Red Hood, who has a very, you know... A, a very key, a very good point about uh, Batman and the way he handles criminals. Or do you side with Batman because he's Batman? You know, oh my God, Under the Hood is just awesome. I mean, it's 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 stunning. It's it's so great. But anyways, anyways. <laughs> okay, what? Who's the next one from? Let's see. Next one is from Stavros, one of our uh, longtime forum yep. members. Let's see. Hey, guys. I'm really enjoying the series so far. It's really cool that you are showing such appreciation for the DCAU. I'm looking forward to Justice League Unlimited, most of all, but until you hit Static Shock, uh, I'm still a fan, of, a big fan of everything you're doing. You mentioned that the DCAU is the only cartoon with its own universe, or the cartoon series, I guess, with its own universe, but the Marvel animated universe of the 90s still counts due to its multiple crossovers between its Spider-Man, X-Men, Fantastic Four, Iron Man, Incredible Hulk, and Avengers cartoons. The Wikipedia page for the Marvel Animated Universe lists the various crossovers. See, I want to I interject right there, if you don't mind, James. Yeah, I was going to do the same, so I go think ahead. there's a big difference between crossing over cartoons from time to time and forging an entire universe. Yes, the Marvel cartoons did cross over, but I never felt like they were in the same universe. I just felt like Wolverine just happened to be showing up in Spider-Man, or Spider-Man just happened to be teaming up with the Fantastic Four. And I never felt like one really affected the other uh, in terms of where the stories or the cartoons were going, in terms of continuity, and in terms of the entire universe. But when you look at the DC animated universe, I feel like everything that happens affects what happens next. What happens in Batman affects Superman, affects you know Gotham Knights, Batman Beyond. You're, you're building towards something. So that is a universe to me. I, I look at Spider-Man and X-Men as the two uh, big ones, because I think they're the ones I, rem- I most remember when I t- think of crossovers in the Marvel animated universe mm-hmm. from the 90s. Because, you know, the X-Men, Storm, I think, most specifically, crossed over the most with uh, in the Spider-Man uh-huh. show. Uh, she was there at least three times, because there was the, there was the, uh, the one 
episode of the Spider-Man animated series where the Beyonder gathered all these heroes from Earth and pitted them against all these villains from Earth uh, in, like, the big chess game, which was one of, I think was one of the very last episodes of the Spider-Man series. So, yeah, that's when I, th- I think of just... They're just crossovers. They're not... I mean, they are technically a universe, right. but not even close to as a grand, grand a scale as in the DCAU. Yeah, it just, it just never felt cohesive to me, where this, the DCAU, just feels like one living, breathing universe. Okay. Anyway, he goes on to say, there are some really good themes in the relationship between Joker and Batman that you guys have looked at that are pretty much explicitly stated in the modern The Batman series. In that show, the Joker makes a regular point of stating that he and Batman are two sides of the same coin. Both men, both personas, were created by one bad day. The problem I have with the Joker being a mobster slash hitman in The Mask of the Phantasm is that Joker's one bad day doesn't turn him into a killer. It just changes his motif. I realize that Joker would like his origin to be multiple choice, but the very best realization of the Joker is that Alan Moore killing joke version, where one good but flawed man is transformed by a perfect storm of tragedy and becomes a psychopath. This is the the incontinuity version that was confirmed not too long ago in the Batman Gotham Knights comic when Joker tried to find the original killer of his family and succeeded. Joker being a killer who then gets a cruel facelift just doesn't lend itself to the modern idea of the character quite as well. It diminishes the connection that Batman and Joker have in terms of their similar tragic origins, and in the end makes Joker far less interesting. It means he's just another costume killer. What do you say? It's a good point. It really is. Yeah, I, it, I never thought of it, and when this email came in and I read it, I was like, damn, okay. <laughs> There's, I have no response <laughs> to that because yeah. you, you can't rebut it. All you can do is say, mm-hmm, and nod your head. Yep. With regards to how... Uh, Andrea finds out who the Joker is. It's reasonable that before she starts to hunt the mobsters down, she would identify and locate each and every one to ensure that she could keep tabs on them so that they would have much less chance of fleeing when they realize they're being hunted down. Since Valestra knows who Joker really is, it's not too much of a stretch that she would be able to find out who he really was through the other members of the gang. She would have put special effort into finding that man in her investigations into the activities of the mob that would reveal that he is now the Joker. Obviously, given my feelings on Joker being a mobster, this isn't the explanation I'd prefer, but it still seems to fit. Of course, the plot hole is that Batman should be able to do the, exactly the same detective work and discover who the Joker is, as you yourselves pointed out. Yep. I'd really like to see The Killing Joke or something similar become one of the new DC animated films. Large portions of this film emulate Batman Year One, such as Bruce's first crime-fighting encounter and his later escape from the police at the construction site. They could adapt elements of the killing joke and craft a full film, proper Joker origin, and everything. Either that or just do Hush. There's enough material in that story to do a full Spawn-style HBO miniseries. Anyway, keep up the good work, Stavros. If they were going to do a very mature Batman animated series, a la HBO Spawn, which is, like, wicked cool. I mean, if they were to do that, instead of Hush, I'd actually rather they do The Long Halloween. I mean, I'm not the biggest fan of that comic book. I am. Right, right. (laughs) (laughs) But it's still, it's much more mature. It takes a much more real-world approach to Batman, I feel. And I think it would work well in that more mature HBO style. And you'd get get a cavalcade of the... Rogues Gallery. Oh, yeah, everybody. You wouldn't have just the Joker. You wouldn't have just Two Face. You'd have the the Hatter, Joker, Two Face, uh, Ivy. Like, who, God, who else was in that? Catwoman's in it. Catwoman, I think. You got all the mobsters in it. 
Because mm-hmm. the whole the whole point of the story is that because uh, the long Halloween is basically year one and a half. It, it's the origin of two, right? But it takes place right after Batman Year One, mm-hmm. and so you know you've got in Year One the whole thing is it's he Batman's fighting the mobsters, but in the Long Halloween these freaks are starting to move into town and they're pushing out the mob. So you've got this this war going on with them, and you've got Batman warring with everybody, and you've got this birth of Two-Face, and something else is going on with this holiday killer. It's, again, not my favorite Batman story, but it's it would make for an awesome... Like, they could do... You, you, know, how, you know how there's that rumored Preacher HBO series coming out? Well, mm-hmm. the idea is that each hour-long episode is going to be an adaptation of one issue of the Preacher comic. Well, they could do that here. They could just do a one-season, the long Halloween series on HBO, 13 episodes, 12, 13 episodes, bang, that's an HBO season. And you've got the whole story right there. It'd be it'd be great. It's the same thing they're doing with the uh, the new Helsing uh, anime series. It's basically one, one manga equals one volume of the OVA. Okay, there you go. It's, There's a precedent for it. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's, what's next? Let's see. Who was our next email from? This one's from... Ah, Thomas, who emailed us last time, oh, I yeah. believe. Uh, hey, Mike and James, still listening to the episode, so this letter is being written in vitro, so to speak. But I wanted to chime in with a few things. Number one, the reason you all saw Saw 4, because the Saw franchise has pretty much chased all other horror-related films away from the October season, which I guess pretty much is true. Mm-hmm. Take a look at the massive amount of horror material being released in November this year. You know previously they'd all be shot out on Halloween week, but this particular franchise has come to dominate the theater so thoroughly that I think other studios would prefer not to chance it. That You got a good point yeah, there. Yeah, I mean, I, it still boggles my mind that Rob Zombie's Halloween was released in August. It's a movie called Halloween, and they released it in August. I, I have to believe that they wanted to release it during Halloween, if not on Halloween, but they're like, shit, Saw has been kicking the box office's ass in October for three years in a, three years in a row now. There was no way they were going to go up against Saw 4. I wish they would have to take some wind out of that franchise's sales, but whatever. You know, I mean, he's, he's right. There's that new horror movie coming up called P2, and that's being released in November. Number two, the Legion Uh-oh. thing. My feeling has always been, oh, God, here we go again. <laughs> My feeling has always been that the Legion from New Kid in the Town, or New Kid in Town, excuse me, is from the very, very, very start of their existence. In fact, I'm willing to bet that this Legion is so early on in its history that the three characters we see are the Legion at the time. The Legion from Far From Home and JLU is an af- is after the team is extremely well established. Of course, the presence of Chameleon Boy and New Kid does shoot my theory about Superman and the Legion and fitting in continuity all to hell. But yeah. So, and we've gone over this how many times now? Yeah, and, and I mean, that's the whole thing with the Legion. They're so confusing in the comic that they're, all, they're automatically confusing in the cartoon. It's just the way it works. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And number three, as a 43-year-old man who went directly from Christmas vacation to seeing Batman Ooh. Mask of the Phantasm in a local theater when it came out, I don't recall much in the way of reaction from the audience to the violence. I will say, though, that even though it's obvious that Phantasm was in, uh, was intended for direct-to-video on the big screen, the animation looks almost minimalist on the giant screen, it was still a very satisfying experience for me. Thank you, Thomas. And, of course, that last bit was in response to, I don't remember my exact wording, but it was something I said about, uh, I think it was something like, 
I would wonder what parents thought if they took their kids to see it because that it, mm-hmm. phantasm is so violent. I want to know what they thought in the moment. So I think that's what he's responding to there. All right. This one is from Mindy, who, as you may remember, emailed us about uh, Mad Love mm-hmm. in our, our pretty long discussion there about you know Joker and, and the battered wife violence. Hello, be- fellow Bat Freaks. Ah, beloved Mask of the Phantasm. It really deserves, as some people call it, uh, some people call it, to be called the Citizen Kane of cartoon movies. I've never seen Citizen Kane, but I'm sure it's good. <laughs> <laughs> Anywho, it's Mindy again, and since you both didn't understand why Andrea got so mad at Batman when he came into her apartment, I figured I'd throw my two cents in. I always took the way Andrea act- reacted as her projecting her anger with fate. Her father being killed and then choosing to become the Phantasm, the multiple murderess, completely destroyed the extreme happiness she had when she was with Bruce, and, even more potent, any possibility of getting that happiness back. Rather than deal with that trauma and heal, though how can you really deal with something like that, it's a lot easier to just forget the past. You're not happy, but you're numb to the pain. However, having Batman just appear means, in those moments, she can't forget anymore. She can't forget, and is forced to mourn. Look at her reaction right after Batman left. She's so upset that she drops her drink and falls under the bed crying. That's a very painful place to be. I've been in a similar situation with with bumping into an ex-best friend. Trust me, it hurts. And like Andrea did, you get so angry that this person came into your universe again to remind you of it all. Wow. I I really like that explanation. Yeah, yeah, that's that's one of the things I truly love about Mindy's emails. they, They really dig in deep to these characters. It could also be that she's projecting her anger with herself onto him. By this time in the film, Andrea knew Bruce was Batman. Does she know even a glimmer of what her hand in it was, or how her leaving affected him? I think Andrea does know at least something about it, because later, when she's telling Bruce the full story of why she left, Andrea says, I'm sorry, Bruce. For the second time, I've come into your life, and for the second time, I screw it up. So if she does know even a little of how she created Batman, having him standing there and not Bruce, is a painful reminder of how she not only destroyed her life, but she destroyed the life and the chance of happiness of the man she loved as well. Her yelling at Batman is really her yelling at him for existing at Bruce's expense, and at her for helping him do it. Hopefully I'm not making up too much subtext, and and this makes some kind of sense. Well, you boys have a good day, and sorry you both had to subject yourself to Saw. Yeah, we are too. I was surprised that they made a fourth one too. I was surprised they made a second one. (laughs) But that's just me. Yeah. Thank you very much, though. Yeah. Um, and we really appreciate it. That's, that was some good stuff there. Mm-hmm. And then I think we have one from Nicholas here. Let's see. Nick wrote... Okay, Mike, I lost my full detailed email about episode oh. 14. I really don't feel like... God, don't we all know how mm-hmm. that feels? I really don't feel like writing it all out over again, so here's my overall thought. Episode 14 is the best yet. Tops the mudslide in Robin's Reckoning Reviews. The gripes will understand <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Well, thank you. Nicholas. Oh man, we, you could you could tell he was a little frustrated typing that one sentence out. Yeah, you? yeah, you could just feel it seeping through in his words there. Our next one is from Chris, who's emailed us several times. Aloha, guys. Just a couple thoughts on Mask of the Phantasm. Regarding the rating, James, you're spot on. Imagine this movie done scene for scene with live actors. There's no way this would get would be less than PG-13. Your comment about Bambi not being applicable is correct as well. Jaws came out in 1975, and that got a PG rating. Yeah. Number two, the soundtrack. Well, Sadly, remember, I don't mean to interrupt you, James. Is that okay. PG thirteen didn't exist until the eighties, so Jaws really had two options: PG or R. 
nowadays, Jaws would probably get PG-13, because it's kind of tame compared to other R-rated movies. But, I mean, which way were they going to go? And now, it's been a while since I've seen Jaws. Does it have a lot of cursing in it? Is There's no nudity. In the beginning, there's implied nudity, because they're skinny dipping. But is there any strong cursing in it that could potentially get it an R? I don't think so. But then again, the rating boards are so weird. Just the other day, Jen and I were watching uh, Beetlejuice, mm-hmm. and that movie is so vulgar. But it's rated <laughs> PG. Beetlejuice, uh, I mean, there's that one scene yes. where he kicks over the tree, and he's like, nice fucking model. And he grabs his crotch, and he's constantly, constantly looking up dresses. And he goes to a whorehouse, a whorehouse. They don't, they don't call it anything else but a whorehouse. But this movie's rated PG, so oh, I guess we should be surprised that Jaws didn't get a G. I don't know. But I mean, my, my, my main point was I, I'd, like to, I'd like Chris to write back in and let us know if he thinks Jaws should be an R or a PG-13. Because if it's a PG-13, again, remember, that didn't come out until the 80s, and I've always heard PG-13 was actually created because of Gremlins, the Steven Spielberg movie. Because if you look at Gremlins, that's rated PG, and that is harsh. That movie's brutal. And I've always heard that that kind of precipitated that PG-13 rating. So, yeah, Chris, write us in and let us know what you think Jaws should be rated. Okay, let's see. Number two, he says, The soundtrack, sadly, only one, one of only three from the DCAU, Batman Beyond and Return of the Joker, both out of print. But Mask of the Phantasm is, I believe, still in print and is available through iTunes. Well worth the 10 bucks that it cost when I downloaded it. Now... My dad, having worked for uh, Time Warner for uh, decade, uh, two decades and a half, uh, I'm holding a promotional copy of the Batman Beyond soundtrack in my hand Aww. right now. Waha. Number three, Arthur Reeves was voiced by Hart Bachner from Die Hard, the oily Sprechen-Z-Talk guy. He was also the love interest in Supergirl. He actually makes the first father and child duo on the show, although not in this movie. His father, the late Lloyd Bachner, voiced Mayor Hamilton Hill. I think the next father-child pair will be Stephanie Zimbalist, daughter of Ephraim Zimbalist Jr. as D.A. Janet Van Dorn. Oh, and she, of course, pops up in the episode we're about to talk about today. Mm-hmm. And number four, Andrea's knack for identifying people. This was this was the thing that really, really, above all else, irked me in Mask of the Phantasm. She was there and overheard him pleading with his parents and knew a lot of how messed up he was and what kind of training he has. Plus, she, she's had ten years to think about him, so I can see her figuring out when she sees him in the area of his parents' grave. For the Joker, he killed her father, so if anyone's face would be burned into her memory, it would be his. I'm sure that Bruce can picture a very clear image of his parents' killer, and she can do the same. A change in color probably wouldn't throw her off, and again, there have been almost ten years of footage of the Joker for her to compare to her memory. She probably She's probably heard his voice as well, and since Joker's vain and likes to talk, I'm sure he's heard his voice as well over the past ten years. The problem with that little last bit about the voice thing is, is that when the Joker was the mobster, he never spoke. Yeah. Ever. They made a point of never having him talk. He'd just smile or wink or do that kind of creepy flirty thing, and that was it. So maybe she heard his voice, but we have to assume she didn't because we never heard his voice. But otherwise, spot on. Okay. And his last point here is the fate of Andrea and the Joker. I disagree a bit with Mike. I don't think Andrea intentionally let the Joker survive. He got away on his own. Then, with her attempt at vengeance stymied, nothing to live for, she fell back on what she knew and became a contract assassin for the next 30 or so years until she balked at killing the McGinnis family. You're Amanda Waller, are you, and are planning to kill an innocent family to form another Batman. Do you hire somebody who came into the realization that killing is not the answer 30 years ago? If she chose not to kill the Joker, 
Why the hell would Waller hire to kill an innocent family? I think she's been working as an assassin, but balked when when faced uh, when faced with doing to Terry what was done to her and Bruce, especially since the deaths of their parents is what kept them from being together. Till next time, Chris. Yeah, yeah, you got me. Okay, he sent a second email here. Uh, sorry, I forgot this in my last post. Listening to you guys, it sounds like the list of things to be covered is, in no particular order, Batman the Animated Series, Superman the Animated Series, Gotham Knights, Batman Beyond, Static Shock, Zeta Project, Justice League, Justice League Unlimited, Teen Titans, Batman Sub-Zero, Mystery of the Batwoman, and Return of the Joker. I agree that the Batman and the Legion of Superheroes are not to be included. If you try to claim that Superman Brainiac attacks is included, you belong in Arkham. <laughs> no, it's not included. I don't care what anybody yeah. says. That's not in continuity. I'm not watching it. I've heard too many negative things about it. I already watched Superman Doomsday. <laughs> I'm not watching Brainiac attacks. What about Gotham Girls, though? Those little Flash webisodes with the original voice cast focusing on the female characters. I want to say they're from 2000 or thereabouts. Yeah. I'm bringing this up because I've had the Flash files for years, but just figured out a way to convert them to a movie file, and from there to my for- and from there format them as episodes of a TV show for my iPod. I love my yeah. Mac, Chris. The plan is for us to cover Gotham Girls. How we're going to cover Gotham Girls, I'm not sure, because I think there were roughly 20 to 25-ish episodes all only a couple of minutes long. So we may just do one episode of World's Finest Podcast, just focus to Gotham Girls and just get them all over with in one shot. But we'll see when we when we get to them. It also depends on if we can find them, because I believe the Flash site is still up, but I don't think it's the easiest thing to find. Sometimes I can find the link and sometimes I can't. I first found it on the Gotham Girls wiki page, but we're talking about Wiki and the DCAU right here. So that link yeah. might be gone. Those two don't go right. together. So, Chris, if you have those files or <clears throat> don't have those files and would like to send them to us or maybe not send them to us, we would very much appreciate that. Maybe. If you sent them to us. <laughs> oh, God, we're roundabout again. Oh, we're going to, I swear to God, we're going to slip into bizarro mode at some point during this episode. <laughs> First up today is Sideshow, and in this episode, Killer Croc is being transported to jail. It's been determined that he is not insane and therefore will stand trial. He is not going to go to Arkham. And as he's being transported, he's able to escape, and uh, Batman gets on his trail because Batman is posing as a reporter, if memory serves, because uh, he just had a feeling something like this would happen. And so he and Croc have a fairly long chase sequence through the woods, which results in Croc getting away. And uh, as he escapes from Batman, he comes across these, for lack of a better term, uh, misfits. We have a hunchback, we have a giant, we have, uh, pardon the term, uh, Siamese twins, and a seal boy. And he, being the scaly, gray-skinned killer croc, fits right in, and they believe his story. He doesn't tell them that he's a convicted criminal. He tells them that he was part of a sideshow and, you know, he was abused and the chains on his wrists are from when they would chain him up and beat him. 
So when Batman shows up to put him back in custody, they believe Batman's the bad guy. They see him as like this evil bounty hunter almost. And they attack him, but then Croc's uh, true colors show. And uh, they all, they all being the uh, members of the sideshow, have to team up with Batman to help take Croc down and get him back into custody. Yeah, that's about it. So uh, why don't you start us off with this one? Well, um, I'm trying to think where I could start with this. Uh, I think the first thing I notice is, uh, you know, Croc's behavior. They, once again, they don't, they don't know how to say, okay, well, is he stupid or is he smart? Now, in this episode, he's not, he's not like book smart by any stretch of the imagination, but he's not stupid here either. He's back to being really conniving and (laughs) devious. That is the exact word I wrote in my notes was conniving. Conniving. You know, he's not as smart as he was in, um, ah, shoot. Vendetta. Right. He's not as smart as he was there because that was a pretty crafty plan he came up with. But as you said, he's very conniving because he's able to make these, uh, former sideshow performers, believe this story that he's concocted and he concocts it the instant he sees them yeah it's off the spur yeah he doesn't stumble he's not like uh um yeah i used to be in a sideshow and uh, you know he doesn't do that he just says it boom it's just straight there so it's it's it shows that he's like a very he's very good when he needs to be at playing on people's emotions and just flat out lying to them it adds a whole new dimension to the character because oftentimes we just see him just as the brute but we forget yeah. that he used to be very smart, and again, to use the word conniving at some point. So it was interesting to see that side of him, that he was still this way in this, that way in this episode. Because in just, let me look at my notes here, in just uh, three or four episodes, he starts to get dumbed down. Not even three or four episodes. Yeah, it's one, two, two episodes after this. Yeah. When we get to trial, mm-hmm. we'll speak about this some more, but... Yeah, so they're going to dumb him down real quick. So Yeah, that's something that, that's one of the few things that along you know, the entire series that kind of irks me is they never get him down. Mm-hmm. It's nobody. It's like nobody writes him with any kind of continuity. Right, I mean, make it one way or the other. I don't care if he's smart. I don't care if he's dumb. Just have it be consistent. It would be better if he was, you know, conniving all the time because you like you said, he adds another dimension to his character. Right, right. I would rather have him be smart, but I'm saying I would, over that, I'd rather have consistency. But let's right back to the train, the, the opening train scene. That was kind of a Clark Kent-esque uh, entry he makes there, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, him, him playing a reporter, <laughs> him running out, him ripping open the shirt. He's got the hat on with a little press tag in it. Mm-hmm. That was mm-hmm. that was clearly them paying homage to Superman because obviously at this point they have no idea that they're going to be doing a Superman cartoon just a few years later, and then so yeah this was this was their little nod at uh, I believe at those old Max Fleischer cartoons. But while we're talking about nods at things, um, especially at DC, if if you noticed when the uh, when that one prison guard is reading the paper, it says that Killer Croc is going to Levitt's prison. Levitt's, that's a reference to Paul Levitt's, who's the publisher of DC Comics. 
Um, at the time when this episode was produced, I don't know if he was the publisher or if he was just a big-time editor, because for a while he also wrote The Legion of Superheroes. So he was known for that, and then he became an editor and then the publisher. So I don't know where what he was doing at the time, but obviously they were fans of him nonetheless, and they wanted to kind of tip their hat. So, you know, it's my job to point out those kind of Easter eggs, so there you go. Did you notice when the, I guess it was during the chase scene, he, uh, he threw a rock yes. at him? Yes. Yes, I put that in my notes. I'm like, threw a rock at him. <laughs> uh, they, they represent every time Croc shows uh, up. I mean, they'll do it again in trial. Yes, they I will. Mean, <laughs> I thought it was so funny because I think I've said this before. I believe when I was a child, I saw a sideshow before Almost Got Him. So I thought Almost Got Him was paying, was, was showing a continuity to sideshow. But of course, mm-hmm. when you look at it now, it's the other way around. But it's, it's funny nonetheless. I find it weird that they keep that continuity, but they can't get his intelligence level straightened yeah, out. It's, it's like they forget that it wasn't Croc saying I threw a rock at him, that it was Batman the whole time. But here's, here's a question I have right off the bat. Just, why would Croc's sanity ever be questioned? He's, I don't know. He's never been portrayed as being insane. He's just violent. He's criminally violent. Does that? And he's a he's a mutant. Uh, I guess they think, oh, he's a mutant. Oh, maybe he's insane. He's he's just a yeah. killer. That's it. He's just a killer that that looks a little weird. I mean, I just I, I really don't get the whole. Oh, he can't go to Arkham, so he's going to jail. I, I just that line just didn't need to even be, you know. I don't know if it was written in the newspaper or if someone said it, but it just didn't need to be there at all. It just could have been like, oh, Killer Croc's being taken to Levitt's prison today. What's what's it matter yeah. if he's insane or not? He's not. He goes to jail. It's that plain and simple. Another thing I, I like about this episode is it's once again it's Batman out of his mm-hmm. element, and uh, with, you know you can see him walking across a, a recently made uh, tree bridge <laughs> that Croc made for him, yeah. and then broke with a with a rock. <laughs> he threw a rock at it. <laughs> it's a really big yeah. rock that time. Two actually, because he <laughs> pushed one oh, into shoot, another, whole... and they both fell down, almost killing Batman. <laughs> yeah. Somehow he got that grapple to go through all those yeah. rocks and and hit yeah, something. He's a crack shot, don't you know? Uh huh. Mm. But but yeah, I but I did like I, I always like seeing Batman out in the wilderness, you know, basically playing Wolverine for an episode. Yeah. yeah what I appreciate about the the chase scene and you know just this whole forest scene, but and this this is this goes from when they fall off the train up until the moment Croc finds the sideshow are the forest sounds, because there's very little dialogue. There's some mm-hmm. grunts here and there, and I believe the two do exchange some words. Croc says a couple of things to himself when he sees Batman. But for the most part, it's just ambient noise. And, you know, I've said this before about this show. The show takes tons of risks. And this was one of them, because we have this extended chase with no... With, I, let me take that back. With little to no dialogue, and we're just being treated to the forest sounds. And, you know, I really appreciate that because I love yeah, it. It's it just, there's something about the sounds that, you know, cause is there music being played over that? Or is it just the sounds? No. It is just them, right? No. Uh, the only time there's music is when like, uh, well, you know what? Now I take that back. I don't even think there's music being played when Croc kicks the, uh, the boulders down on top of Batman. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think there was music playing during that either. But yeah, it's what I was getting at is it serves to remind you that Batman isn't in the city. I mean, yes, it's obvious there's trees here and not skyscrapers, but they could have left the background just 
I don't know, they didn't need to do everything they did with the noises. But because we don't hear cars and we don't hear this and that and footsteps, you know, we get grass, you know, whispering in the wind. We get trees. We get animals. Again, it just really goes to show you that, look, this is not Gotham. You know, don't, for, don't forget for a second that this is not Gotham. It, it adds a much deeper level to that chase scene, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, and, and another thing, during the uh, the chase, there was some really cool animation mm-hmm. bits there, like on Croc's veins bulging out of his forehead. Good Oh, grief. I missed that. That's... I don't remember. Where? Where did that happen? When he's pushing the uh, the tree over to oh. make the, uh, make, or was it, was it the rock, the big boulder? I can't remember. One of those two. He's, he's, I think it's the boulder that he's pushing on, about to push on top of mm-hmm. Batman. The veins in his forehead and his neck start bulging out like Bane. Oh. Just really, really cool. Yeah, if it was during the tree scene, I know for a fact I looked away because I was writing in my notes, uh, I, or I was, you know, I was questioning whether Croc, as strong as he is, could uproot and push over an entire tree. You know, so yeah. and as he was doing it, I was kind of looking away. So, I, like I said, I can't remember which one it is. Yeah. I want to say it was the boulder, but I could be wrong. Okay. But one, it was one of those two moments. Well, I know. Th- this entire episode is just filled with great animation. It's not just. Oh, yeah. During the chase, I mean, when... I just had to point that one out, because right, it was right, so no, cool. No, I understand that, but when we get to... When we actually get to see the sideshow folks, you know, you you honestly begin to feel for them. These, I mean, mm-hmm. these are these are one-off characters, but from, you know, their, their first lines of dialogue, you can, through the, through the dialogue, through the voice acting, you know, you, you can feel the heart behind the characters, but it's it resonates so much more because this animation wasn't dashed off. They really seem to take their time with it. These characters don't look generic. They're, they're very unique. And I, I think that helps this episode so much. I, you know, oftentimes we'll see the first act and the third act has great animation, but the second act falters a little. That mm-hmm. didn't happen in this one at all. I thought, seriously, nope. from the first frame to the last, this was some of the best animation that they've produced for Batman the Animated Series. Yeah, couldn't agree more. And the uh, the another great thing about the uh, the sideshow is each you know, each one of them had their own their own character. They weren't uh, one wasn't like the other. The the uh, the conjoined twins were uh, one was pushy, one was really you know sympathetic. Mm-hmm. Uh, the uh, Richard was obviously a, a an homage to Richard the <laughs> Third by Shakespeare. The Goliath guy was the you know he's the big dumb lug with the heart of gold. And then, you know, Seal Boy is, you know, he's he's like Timmy, you know, little Timmy uh, from, like, Lassie, basically, just with, you know, flippers. Correct me if I'm wrong, Timmy's voiced by uh, the kid from Terminator, isn't he? Furlong? Isn't that his name? I don't know. Uh, off, off the top of my head, I, I didn't know. look it up before this one, but I could swear, what's his, is it Edward Furlong? Maybe. Okay, whatever, the kid from the Terminator 2, that's what I'm talking about. I'm 99% mm-hmm. sure he voiced... That kid, and I wanted oh the seal yeah, boy, and I wanted to say that the conjoined twins were um, poison ivy. There were a couple points where she sounded a little like poison ivy, but I'm I'm not I'm not gonna I wouldn't stick my Joe life Beth, on that. Joe Beth Williams did the twins. Okay, well that's not poison ivy, I don't think. No, but what about what about um, seal boy? Seal uh, seal boy was Whitby Hurtful. Wow, I. I Seriously, for years, I have thought that was the Terminator 2 kid. I'm, mm. I'm shocked that I'm wrong with that. I seriously would have laid money down on that one. 
was Whitby Herford was in a lot of the Disney cartoons from the 90s, like Tailspin and Aladdin. Yeah. I didn't uh, really watch. You're talking about the television cartoons, not the movies? Yeah, the, yeah I didn't watch. The, I'm just looking yeah. at uh, the episode guide here. Yeah. What yeah. about the giant? Was that the brother from uh, Everybody Loves Raymond? Brad yeah. Garrett? I think it might have been. Because he had that, you know, that... Yeah, okay. it was. It was. You know, he had that real husky, you know, kind of tall guy voice. Because guys who are uh-huh. super tall have... Th- their voices are very distinct. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I think that's him just gruffing it up a little more. Yeah, it was... Yeah, it's definitely him. Yeah, but as I was watching this this episode here, I couldn't help but try to cast it with, you know, live actors. And every time I saw mm-hmm. the giant, I kept thinking they have to go with the big show. I mean, who else are you going to use? That would you be know, great. I would love because he—he's—he's he's a really good actor. He's a great comedian, and you know, he can bring. You know, when we saw him, and I know people who don't watch wrestling and have a low opinion of wrestling are going to roll their eyes here. But in the scenes, you know, in the little backstage skits they would do, whenever he needed to, he could bring heart to his character. And this giant needs a lot of heart. He reminded me, and I wouldn't be surprised to find out that he was actually based on, the giant in this cartoon, I mean, based on uh, Andre the Giant's character from The Princess Bride. I'm almost positive that... That's great. great Yeah, I'm almost positive that this character is supposed to be, and I can't remember the character's name for The Princess Bride, but I'm almost positive it's supposed to be, you know, the, the same guy, or at least modeled on him. So it would make sense then to use, you know, another wrestling giant to play him in a live-action film. Because, like I said, this giant character, he's, he's strong and tough, but he's got a lot of heart. He cares about these people around him, and for a brief while, he cares about Croc, too. And I really think uh, Big Show there could, could, could bring it. But that's neither here nor there. So, sorry <laughs> for the tangent. <laughs> oh, that's okay. He's, he really is. He's got a great range for, you know, being just, for being the, the just the giant. That's everybody. Everybody knows who right. he is. That's they just think of you know he's just the giant. Um, you know, one question I had to ask is, it, it occurs to me that why has Croc never tried to sever Batman's jugular with his teeth? <laughs> yeah, he can break a chain with his teeth, but he never tries to bite Batman. Yeah. <laughs> oh shit! That never dawned on me. That's a good call there. Because. Once he gets, I know he bites the chains in the train, obviously, but, but you know it, that just—it was just a question I needed to ask. I mean, because obviously they can't get away with it in the cartoon, but what about the comic? Mm-hmm. The comics can go a little darker, huh? Oh. Yeah, <laughs> just had to ask. Yeah, so if if the next time Killer Croc appears in the comics and he's chewing on Batman's neck or at least attempts to, you know, whoever is writing that issue or drawing that issue listens to our show, so keep mm-hmm. an eye out. <laughs> One of the things I, I really dug about this episode is that Croc, because the whole thing is that Croc finds out that this sideshow has like a $50,000 uh, savings hidden away somewhere on this mm-hmm. little plot of land they have. And he ends up rummaging through all their shit trying to find the money. And when he finds it, Seal Boy uh, bumps into him. He's like, hey, Croc, what you doing? And he's like, I'm just looking for a blanket. And he, Croc almost has a change of heart. And we've never seen him have any sort of heart at all. He's always just been the violent, stone-cold killer. Sometimes played up for comedic relief. But here, I mean, he puts the money back. He sort of feels bad because these people have taken him in. And he's thinking of stealing from them. And, of course, by the end, he you know, tries to kill them all and 
you guys take the money anyways. But that brief instant, they actually humanized Croc. And that's what the show is always, ex- almost always excelled at, is humanizing their villains. Two-Face, Mr. Freeze, Maxi Zeus. Oh, 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 sorry about that. <laughs> oh, God, why did you have to bring that up? <laughs> okay, okay, Maxi Zeus aside, they do a really good job of adding heart and depth to their villains. And for, like I said, that blink of an eye, they did it with Killer Croc. Well, I don't, I don't think I saw it the same way. Now, it's, it's, it's entirely possible they did. I, when I was watching that scene, I never got the feeling that he had a change of heart because he, you know, Seal Boy is about, I don't know, 15 feet away across the, in the dark room. He can't see that he's got the can in his hand, but, you know, Croc, to me, it just seemed like Croc was, oh, he's like, oh shit, I almost got caught. No, because I think if they were trying to get across the point, you know, of, oh shit, I got caught, he would have done it in that really kind of quick, put it back in the in the organ, shut the door, and turn around real quick kind of manner before Seal Boy sees me thing. You know, you see that all the time in, in like sitcoms and stuff where people get caught doing things. Right, but he well he hid it behind his back there for several seconds. You have to think about what he did after that. He hid it behind his back and he's like, Oh, I'm looking for a blanket and Seal Boy's like, Oh, they're over here, I'll get them for you, being the nice young man that he is. And he turns around. N- no, Croc walks over and he says, Oh, let me get it. He didn't want the SEAL kid to exert himself climbing up to get these blankets that were out of his reach. Right, after he put the, the money back. I thought he got the blanket, then put the money back. No, no, no. He, he puts the, the money back into the organ, then he goes over to the, the blanket okay, but, cabinet. Okay, but even still, if he puts the money back first before getting the blanket, he still doesn't let the kid exert himself. And that's not something we've seen from Croc before. Normally, Croc's so heartless, you know, he would have let the kid struggle to get the blankets down letting them all fall over his face but instead he you know he takes the one down for himself and he puts them neatly back in the in the cabinet and he just lets the money be for a while i don't know i really feel that was supposed to be a change of heart they probably did it just didn't come across that way to me when i watched the episode okay well that's fair that's fair is that when Batman comes onto the scene after that yeah yeah right about there while they're getting the blankets i think that's when uh, Batman walks up to the giant, shushes him, and says, I'm not going to hurt you, but you have to tell me where Croc is. And that's when the giant's like, Croc, get out of here! And that's when the shit hits the fan. And there was a great line there where when Goliath and Batman are about to fight, and Batman's like, I don't want to hurt you. And he's like, don't worry, you won't. Yeah, that was, that was really nice. After that, the episode becomes, you know, a Batman episode. You know, be, uh, we're in terms of uh, just like action, a lot of action sequences. And, uh, we get Croc stealing the money, uh, going back, showing, like you said, showing his true colors. And really, up, that's what it becomes until the very end where Seagull Boy walks up to Croc in the, in the uh, uh, Hannibal Lecter uh-huh. get up. And he says, why'd you do it, Croc? And then Croc just says, you said it yourself, kid. This is a place where you can be yourself. I guess that's just what I was doing. I really, really like that exchange. Yeah, that was that was good because it it makes you feel bad for all these characters. They thought they had a new friend. They thought, you know, they had this 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 comrade that was just like them, and it turns out he was nothing like them. They took in a maniac, and they all could have lost their lives because of what he is. And it drives that point home right at the end. 
and it, it resonates. As the credits roll, you're continuing to feel bad for these characters that you've never saw before and you'll never see again. Mm-hmm. So that, that really goes to, to great writing, I think. And I'll just reiterate that I love Shakespeare references, so I had a soft spot for Richard there. <laughs> uh, it was I really I just dig the I just dig the uh, literature references, as you well know. Yeah. Did you not like the fact that it kind of, as you put it, becomes a Batman episode once Batman shows up? Because I didn't mind no, that at all. No, I didn't mind it. I was just saying that's really what it, it just becomes. You know, action sequences, and uh, they kind of pick it a little. You know, pick it back up to where the emotion at the very end there. Mm-hmm. But no, I didn't mind them at all. I was just saying that's really what it becomes. Okay, okay, because, yeah, I wrote in my notes that there's awesome action and storytelling throughout this entire episode because, you know, it starts out with some storytelling on the train and then we get the action of them fighting on the train and falling off the train and the chase scene and then we get, you know, some storytelling with Croc meeting these characters and then Batman shows up and we get some more action. And then right at the end, there's a little more storytelling and characterization. And I thought it was a really nice balance of the two. So It's if, back and forth, back and forth. Right. That's, that's, that's why when I thought you were complaining about it, I was kind of shocked. I don't think I have anything else to say. How about you? You know, I, I have a couple more things to say. The first is that, you know, there's one scene. Okay, we should note that when, you know, Batman first shows up, of course, he fights with the giant, as we said. But mm-hmm. everybody... All of the sideshow people, they, you know, they get in on this, on this fight. They want to help their new friend. So, you know, Batman ends up in that cage. And, of course, they end up then in the cages, too, because Croc wants to kill Batman. And they're like, no, 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 you're not going to kill him. So that, you know, it's, that, at that point is clearly defined what side of the line the sideshow people are on and what side Croc falls on. They, they understand right then and there that he's not a good guy. So, you know, he then, as they're going after him, he's got the utility belt over his shoulder, and he just pulls out the smoke pellets. Oh, God, I forgot all about that, yes. And he throws them at the ground, and they all pass out, and then, of course, he then chains them up and puts them in a cage, too. And it's like, how would Croc know which pouch the pellets were in? For that matter, uh, how did he open it at all? Yup. You know, we got Solomon Grundy later on gets electrocuted when he tries to open it. We got the guy who got the purple gas in the face. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, but Croc just opens it up over his shoulder. Mm-hmm. Not, Not even looking. looking. He yeah. just opens up a pouch and then happens to grab the gas balls. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, of course, you could claim that... You know, he knew the pouch because Batman used them on him before, but the question remains, the one you brought up, how the hell did he open it to begin with? Yeah. You know, it's like, this should not be happening. Batman has security measures on that belt. <laughs> mm-hmm. And but, as as we'll see later on, a, a, repeatedly, the utility belt is the most powerful force in the DC universe. <laughs> damn damn that green ring. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess the last thing I want to say about this episode is, I don't know if this message was intended but intended or not, I think this, this episode is a very powerful don't-judge-a-book-by-its-cover message. Normally, of course, that means if someone looks freakish, you shouldn't judge them. They might be a great person at heart. But it's actually kind of the opposite here. We have these, for lack of a better word, these freaks. And they see this other freak, and they think he's instantly nice because he's just as freakish as them. But it turns out his heart is black. 
Yeah. So I like the fact that the message is the same. Don't judge a book by its cover because they shouldn't have trusted that he was good just because of the way he looked. But the end result is actually the opposite of what we normally get from that kind of story. Our next episode is a bullet for Bullock. In this episode, uh, somebody is out to get Harvey Bullock. Imagine that. Um, he gets... Basically, he gets... Uh, at the very beginning of the episode, we see somebody trying to run him over. Um, so, you know, Harvey is overwhelmed by this. You know, he, he could have any number of people wanting to wanting to off him because, you know, as as we know, we well know he has some shady dealings and he's put a lot of people away in some very underhanded methods. So, he has no choice but to enlist the help. Of Batman. <laughs> so, Batman basically says, you know, they 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 uh, basically say how they stand with each other. Batman appreciates the honesty and all that stuff, and he gets, he, you know, he gets the list of all the people that Harvey thinks might be wanting to get him, and he starts he starts searching through them, and once again, and Harvey tr- is almost killed again in a subway, but he, somebody pushes him onto the tracks as a train's coming along, almost gets killed again. And But Batman seems to think that somebody's not trying to kill him, but just to send a message. Eventually, they uh, pinpoints the most likely person that's out to get him. They go after the guy, but it turns out it really wasn't him. So I guess we'll I, I'll end the... In, a intro there because I don't want to give away the ending just yet. Yeah, we'll we'll do that as we discuss the episode. Um, this episode rules. Oh yeah, I, absolutely. I love this episode. And it all starts with the score. Oh yes, yes. Jazz score from the opening title card to the closing credits is just fl- like freaking cool. It it might be my favorite of ever any. BTAS episode. I'm, I'm not. I'm not exaggerating there. I think it might be my favorite of any of the scores. Huh. It's just so cool. Uh-huh. And but that you know it really goes with the whole episode. The episode really has a film noir feel to it. Oh yeah. With just without the the sexual overtones. Yeah. <laughs> For obvious reasons. Oh hey, you never know. Maybe there's some sexual tension between Batman and Bullock there. That's what I want to see. I want to see some slash fiction involving Batman and Bullock. Uh, and no, I don't. I'm kidding. Please I know. don't email that to me. Please. And please don't don't, don't put that image in my. Head. But if you email it to me, I will forward it to James. No, you know. Oh, okay. Well, you know what? I just thought of something. When when Bullock is there with uh, uh, Summer Gleason in that the camera room, that look he gives her, that maybe that's the the sexual overtone there. That was a creepy look, wasn't I know. it? That's hilarious. He tries to get all flirty with her, like, hey, babe, you know you want to help me out, but it's just this, like, creepy smile. He's slimy guy. I mean, you can tell that Bullock doesn't get laid all that often. <laughs> Sorry, I was trying to word, I was, I was trying not to be as crass as that, and I just, it's the only way I could think to word it, because... You know, he's got no game, man. He just, like, you know, spins her around, and he kind of pins her into this chair, and he gives her this 
you know, look, this oafish <laughs> smile, and she's not having any of it. She just sees straight through him and just sees the pig that he is. It's it's hilarious but creepy at the same time. I feel so bad for Summer in that sequence. More, I feel worse for her than I do, like a minute later. You know, a minute later when Bullock's tearing up her office looking for those files. Mm-hmm. You know, you feel bad for her there, but no, it's worse in the editing room. Oh, <laughs> it's so creepy. It's one of those, I'm so glad I'm not a girl moments, you know? Because yeah. mm-hmm. I guarantee you, every woman has experienced something like that at least once. <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh, but, you know, it, that really was a great exchange on the rooftop for when Bullock uses the bat signal to call bats to the the top of police headquarters. Mm-hmm. It, you know, it really, it, it shows where they stand with each other. And uh, Batman has some balls. He asks, he asks this guy point blank if he's on the take. Yeah, it doesn't sugarcoat it at all. <laughs> and Bullock's like, listen, freak, you know. <laughs> I never took a dime from nobody. Mm-hmm. Oh, just, that, that's something stuff. you always wonder about Bullock. You know he's a dirty cop, but is he taking money? You know, and they answer it right here. Look, no. He says flat out, I've done some shady things. I've put people away in underhanded method, you know, using underhanded methods, but I've never taken a dime. And I think throughout this episode, they keep hammering that point home. Bullock is a sleazeball. He's scummy to the core. But he's a damn good cop. And he's Absolutely. never going to take a bride. A bribe. He's not going to get a bride either. But he's never <laughs> going to take a bribe because that would undermine everything he's ever done in his career. And that's the other reason he has to go to Batman is because of all all the other things he does. He may not take a bribe, but he, he bend, like he says, he bends the rules a lot. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't want internal affairs looking at him too closely Mm -hmm. so he really batman is his only option Mm -hmm. so um you know you know bullock apparently just pisses off everybody in gotham city Mm -hmm. i think everybody in gotham city knows who he is and maybe three people like him yeah i I think that i think the only people that like him are uh gordon Montoya, montoya and his mom yeah and his mom's questionable you know, <laughs> <laughs> Ugh. but, um, you know, I, I, I bring up Montoya and I have to ask a question about her mm-hmm. in this episode. It appears as if she's made detective. She's not dressed as a beat cop in this episode, right? She's just got the trench coat on with like, you know, just like Harvey does. Right. She, at one point she's wearing a skirt and a vest and a tie. And she's, but she's not wearing the beat cop episode, or episode uh, out uniform, I should say. But uh, I'm jumbling up my words here because I wanted to say in a later episode that we're going to talk about very soon, she's dressed again as a beat cop. So it's like they can't get it straight with her. Is she a beat cop? Is she a detective? Which one is she? I wish they would just keep her as the detective. Yeah, because it was nice seeing her progress like that. Because when we saw her many moons ago in the... Uh, in the Rashomon-like episode, and I'm forgetting the name of it, where we get the three stories from the rookie Montoya and Bullock. Oh, um... Ah, crap. I know, hey. there's people yelling at their iPods right now. Mm-hmm. I can't remember. Anyway. You know which one I'm talking about, right? Right, right. There, she's still just a beat cop. So it's nice to see these, ep- you know, so many episodes later, she's gotten a promotion. But then apparently she gets demoted. 
And <laughs> we don't know why. Yeah, <laughs> who knows what she did. You know, but uh, I, again, I thought that was really cool continuity. It shows you that the character has aged. She's changed over, I don't know, we're not sure what the timeline is, but ho- however long it is, you know, there's there's been a change, and I like seeing that. Absolutely. Because, Mon- you know, Montoya is a great character, and they they never really delve too deeply mm-hmm. with her, but and I wish they had. Yeah, I mean, I really appreciate the fact that later on in the comics, over in Detective Comics and then in Gotham Central, they would really get into her character and show you what she was all about. I mean, they've got her running around as the question now. I'm not exactly pleased about that, but at least they're using her. Yeah. Because it'd be such a shame to have such an awesome character go to waste. So. Um. Bullock, I think, has some of the best just one-liners uh, this side of the Joker. Uh, when he when he talks to uh, Nivens, he's like, "Oh, I thought you were the doormat, Nivens." Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, when he he when uh, he handcuffs the guy on the rooftop, he's like, "You have the right to remain silent. If you give up that right, you'll probably bore me to tears. So keep your <laughs> trap shut, dog face." <laughs> See, that's that's exactly how I picture Harvey Bullock giving somebody the Miranda rights. Yeah. <laughs> that is exactly how it would go. Yeah. It's it's like, you know, when the lawyer later on asks these guys, Did, do, were your rights read to you? The guys are going to be like, I think so. <laughs> I'm not <laughs> sure. <laughs> Something <laughs> like them, I think. You know? It started off pretty well, but then it kind of trailed off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but, I mean, you, you talk about Harvey's one-liners, but I think Alfred's... Like, I think only line in this entire episode <laughs> trumps them all. When Batman has obviously explained that Harvey Bullock, of all people, has asked for his help, Alfred responds with Harvey Bullock, the detective who looks like an unmade bed? It's like, <laughs> that's a really good description of Harvey Bullock. It's, it's one of those lines where I'm going to have to outright steal it for something. Like, like I don't know, in a... If I'm writing a short story or a novel down the line, and I have a character who's all disheveled, they are now going to be described as looking like an unmade bed. It's I, I just have to take it. I'm sorry, guys, you know, but it's a good line. I gotta and, steal and, it. It may or may not be an homage. <laughs> Don't start this again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm, it's not going to end there, and you know it. Oh, I know, I know. Now, um, another another thing I I just love about this episode is more risks that they're taking. As relates to the risque words like mm-hmm. drug labs, crack houses, rock crystal, crack town. Yeah, crack town. Yeah, it's a whole oh, town God. of crack. You know? yeah. <laughs> it's like not just a crack house, it's a crack town. <laughs> if you need crack, you know where to go. I mean, what? It's, it's like Gotham doesn't have a red light district. You know, <laughs> it doesn't have that, but it has a crack town. Like, mm-hmm. my God. Oh. <laughs> but hey, once again. The censors weren't paying attention, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> and we thank them for it. Yeah, absolutely, because, you know, this episode needs that kind of harsher look at Gotham City. It's absolutely. It's okay to play Gotham as dark, but not that bad. It's okay to do that for the majority of the episodes. But when you're focusing on an episode where an officer of the law is being hunted down for assassination... You just can't play it any other way. The episode has to be mature from that point forward. So you have to mention crack, 
rock crystal, crack houses, crack town. And drug labs. Drug labs. All of that stuff has to come out, and it has to come out, frankly. You cannot sugarcoat it by saying, oh, they're selling junk. I mean, we see a drug deal go down in this episode. Mm-hmm. Batman doesn't stop the guy who bought the drugs, but he does stop the dealer. So we know that someone is going back to their apartment or wherever they're hold up, hold up to go smoke this crack or shoot the heroin or whatever. Snort they it or whatever did. the hell they're going to do. Right. We know somewhere in the in one of these buildings, someone is getting high right now because we <laughs> probably saw a lot of people. <laughs> right, right. But we know for a fact at least one guy is because we saw that drug deal. So mm-hmm. I have to wonder if Tim and his crew really sat down with the censors and said, look, you're right, and normally we'd bend on this, but with this episode, we can't. We just can't call it junk or give it some kind of cutesy name. It has to be crack. I don't Absolutely. know. I, I'd because really like to know if they fought for this. Yeah, well, it goes back to the whole film noir motif mm-hmm. That's that... That, that's exactly what they had to be going for here, mm-hmm. because those are really gritty, really just grungy, hardcore, no like, no censorship whatsoever kind of films, and that's basically what this is in a Batman episode. I, I just have to point out, you remember when we were speaking about Mask of the Phantasm? Mm-hmm. At one point during one of the flashbacks, I said there was a character, uh, I think it was one of the bikers, that Batman, or Bruce, kind of got roughed up by. And I he had grayish hair, and I said he looked really familiar, but I couldn't mm-hmm. place where, what episodes of BTAS I knew him from. Right. I'm 99% sure that it's Sharky. That, okay, I, I'm almost positive that the guy that they think is going after Bullock, that they simply call Sharky. Vinny the Shark? I think at one point they call him Sharky, too, though. Okay. Okay, Vinny the Shark Sharky, whichever it is, okay? <laughs> I'm 99% sure that if you were to go and pop in the Mask of the Phantasm DVD and go to that scene where Batman's roughing up the bikers, you would see Vinny the Shark, Sharky, whatever, in that scene. I think that was supposed to be him. I think they were setting it up, saying, oh, we're going to introduce the character in the movie, and then a few months later when we come back with a new season, we can show how far he's progressed. Maybe. Maybe. But Again, I, I have to get side by side, but I'm not, like I said, I'm 99% sure. I'm well, Vinny, the shark, Vinny the Shark is not a young guy, though. Right, and that's what I had said when we were reviewing Mask of the Phantasm, is the guy that Batman was roughing up with the motorcycle, that guy had gray hair. Right. He wasn't even young then. Mm-hmm. So that's what really made him stand out in my mind. I'm almost positive it's him. All throughout this episode, we get uh, great, the great, uh, Batman Bullock dynamic, mm-hmm. just back and forth. You get him on the rooftop, of course, where they first, you know, basically draw the line with, with where they stand with each other. Then you get Batman and him on the rooftop where that he basically saves his life again. And he's like, I didn't want you to hold my hand. Yeah. <laughs> and then we get him in the apartment where uh, Bullock almost shoots, and he's like, you take some <laughs> some risks, freak. <laughs> uh and then, and then again in the police station, uh, it's. I think every other scene, it seems like it's Batman and Bullock, mm-hmm. uh, and I love it. I I just love watching those scenes. This is another one of those episodes I can just sit back and watch over and over again. I mean, the sexual tension. Oh, oh, I mean, um, <clears throat> sorry. <clears throat> I ever mentioned that I hate you? <laughs> one of the things I I wrote down in my notes is that not only, you know, do their interactions feel. 
very true to life. I mean, these are two guys, you know, they're on the same side of the law, sort of. Batman's sort of in a gray area, you know, and, you know, they're being straight with each other in, in terms of where they're coming from. You know, that feels very real to mm-hmm. me. You know, I've been in that position where it's like, I don't like this guy and he doesn't like me, but we have to come together for something else, you know, and I'm sure we've all been in a situation like that. But besides them, you know, feeling very real, they were also humorous. You know, I mean, every time I was just, I found myself sort of chuckling at their, at their little interactions, their little jabs they were taking at each other. I mean, I mean, there's one moment where you kind of, you know, I want to say the only one where I really didn't laugh was where uh, Batman's in the police station and he gives, he has actually the gall to give Harvey an order. And Harvey's like, what do I look like, a wet-eared rookie? And Batman turns around and actually picks Harvey up. I forget what he says to him, but he's basically... Do you want to live, bullet? Yeah, there it is, right. He's like, do you want to live? And he just sets him down. And that's the only interaction that I didn't feel had any humor at all. But then they sort of temper it a little where Batman goes zipping away and Harvey's yelling at him from the police station window. So, again, I like the fact that they added some realism to it. I like the fact that there was some drama, but I really appreciate the fact that they kept it, they really kept it grounded with humor. You know, this episode, again, we've spoken about how it's very dark, very honest, but they they did lighten it up a little by having these two kind of fight once in a while in sort of a cartoonish manner, I felt. Oh, and they needed it. Mm-hmm. Like I say, you said it, they grounded it. If they didn't have that humor, then... I still think it'd be a great episode, but it it might have been too much for them to allow yeah. for a kid's cartoon. Right. And then, you know, they go and find Vinny the Shark. They basically, you know, Batman's like, okay, well, do you know who Vinny the Shark is? And he's like, yeah, I sent him away. I, I basically ended his empire. And, uh, you know, they go to the, the warehouse, and Batman storms their little drug Operation or whatever the, uh, what are they st- were they shipping drugs or st- I were, think were they, they were stealing drugs. something yeah. okay yeah that's what I thought I just couldn't remember mm-hmm. but um, Batman flies in on into the scene starts kicking ass and then Bullock comes down on a chain <laughs> with with the with his gun in his hand I love I love the dynamic at once once they get out of that car mm-hmm. they, you know uh, Vinny Shark has this guy drop this. Uh, car chassis on top of them, of course, it doesn't kill them because it's an empty car chassis, but uh, once they get out of there, it's hilarious with Batman slinking through the shadows like a ninja and Harvey Bullock just cross-bodying people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it, it's, it's really, again, it's it's more of the dynamic that uh, you've you got Batman in his sleek, uh, sleek style, then you got Bullock the uh, slob. It 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 uh, sneaks it sneaks in even into their fighting styles. Yeah, yeah, very <laughs> much so. Yeah, because we've brought that up in the past. That Bullock is a tough guy. And again, going back to the episode with uh, Renee and the rookie, there's that scene where you see Bullock beat up all those guys, and we had questioned if that was Bullock exaggerating or not. And I was on the side of the fence that said Bullock was not exaggerating when it came to how many guys he took out. You remember what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. And he does the same thing here. I mean, the dude can handle his own. He might look like a slob, and he might not be a you know a ninja like Batman, but you do not want to get into a fight with him. He is going to knock your ass out. POV, that was the episode. Yes, there Point you go. Point of view. I almost get the feeling that Bullock is sort of like the kingpin from Daredevil. He might look like just a walking mound of fat, 
but there's a lot of muscle underneath. Mm-hmm. And you do not want to end up on the business end of his fist. That's kind of the sense I get from him. Oh, yeah. And then there was more of that jazz music going on during the the, the, the fight scene after the car chassis dropped Right, on. and if you pay attention, they actually jazz up the Batman the Animated Series theme real briefly. Mm-hmm. There's a couple of times where they hit a few notes, and it's like, oh, shit, I see what they're doing there. Cool. Yeah. During that fight, there was a really cool callback, too. Earlier in the episode... Bullock is on the rooftop, and that one thug is about to shoot him in the back. And Batman throws a batarang at the thug's hand, thus knocking the gun out of, out of his uh, hands there. And that's when Bullock turns around and he says that whole, I don't need my handheld thing. Well, mm-hmm. later on in the drug warehouse when the fight's going on, Batman has a gun to his back. And Bullock, um, does he shoot he shoots, the gun? Yeah, he shoots the gun out of his hand. Right, and it's the same exa- it plays out the same way. You know, Batman kind of looking over his shoulder, just like Harvey did, to see what was going on. So it was really cool that they saved each other's lives by doing the same thing, just in a different fashion, Batarang versus gun. Yeah. You know, because, it, it again, it, it shows you that these guys are great at their craft. Batman, he's precise with those Batarangs, but Harvey shot a gun out of a guy's hand. That's not an easy thing to do. So it shows you that both these guys, be it with a gun or a battering, know how to handle their weapons. Again, going back to Bullock being a really good cop. Because a good Mm -hmm. cop, you know, he doesn't want to pull his gun, but when he does, he's going to know how to use it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was was wondering if Batman was going to say something about about him having the gun pointed at... at, uh, uh, the sh- at Vinny the Shark, mm-hmm. and he did, and it was, and he, Bullock's like, relax, relax, cowlhead, yeah. <laughs> just getting back to the lighthearted humor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So good, good stuff there, and um, you know, Batman the whole time, the whole time during this episode, Batman questions these events that are happening to Bullock, in that it, it doesn't seem like the guy's trying to kill him, it just trying to scare him. And that's and he said that's not Vinny the Shark style. And then once they capture Vinny the Shark, he's like, "Are you sure you think this is over?" And uh, it's like the recurring theme of Batman in this whole episode is his theory that no, this can't be right. Something's not right. Something's not right. And then of course, at the end, we find out that it wasn't Vinny the Shark. It was the landlord, <laughs> because Harvey Bullock is. As we have said so many times here, an utter slob. He basically pisses his landlord off to no end, and his landlord was just trying to scare him out of town, or at least out of his apartment building. <laughs> and he fails, and he has to resort to just holding a gun to his head and basically trying to shoot him. Because yeah, he even says, I didn't want it to come down to this. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he clearly didn't want to murder the guy, but hey, it's Bullock. I mean, what the hell? <laughs> Oh, Bullock has the greatest uh, master of the obvious line in the entire episode. I know you. <laughs> it's like, gee, Bullock, you think so? Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I kind of like that line. I mean, it mm-hmm. is sort of like, duh, but at the same time, it's it's kind of cute. It's like, <laughs> it's it, it, it seemed kind of real. It seemed honest. Like, what else are you going to say in this? I mean, there's a guy wearing a mask pointing a gun at you, and you recognize his voice, you are going to say something like, I know you. 
or, or do I know you, or I recognize your voice, just something. If you're going to say anything, it's going to be something along those lines. So, yeah, it's, it is a master of the obvious type line, but kind of felt honest to me. Yeah. So, Batman saves the day, and we have a couple more great little exchanges between Batman and Bullock. Um, I'm trying to think what it, what it was. Oh, yeah, the, maybe the greatest of, of them all is, like, Bullock's like, eh, gee, I guess I owe you one, Bats. And he's like, forget it, Bullock, you have enough problems. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then Bullock, for a second, looks kind of forlorn. Like, oh, my life sucks. And then he just takes the landlord away anyway. <laughs> yeah. You know? Now, speaking of when the reveal happens and, you know, Bullock is shocked, if you look in the background during that kind of Scooby-Doo take-the-mask-off moment, mm-hmm. Batman's actually smirking. <laughs> like, in later shots, he's kind of got his typical stern face going on. But when it's first revealed that it's the landlord, it looks like Batman wants to double over and just bust a gut because it's the landlord. You know? <laughs> it's, it's this real cute kind of quick moment, and it's a blink-and-you-miss-it type of thing. So mm-hmm. if you guys go back and rewatch this one, definitely pay attention to that. Just don't pay attention to Bullock. Don't pay attention to the landlord. Pay attention to Batman hanging in the background. He's clearly smiling. I'm trying to think going through this entire episode of anything that I didn't really like, but off the top of my head, I really can't think of anything that just blatantly stood out as, oh, God, that I have to take a pointer or two off of that. Yeah, I'm right there with you. The only sort of, and I'm hesitant to call it a mistake, that I noticed is in the beginning, during the bat signal scene, Harvey Bullock goes through three toothpicks... He has one in his mouth when Batman arrives. He puts another one in his mouth partway through their conversation. And then he puts another one in his mouth at the end of the conversation. But you could chalk that up as Harvey just chewing on him for a few seconds and then throwing him away. We just don't yeah. see the throwing away. But like I said, you know, is that a mistake? Is that him doing something off camera? What is that? That's the, literally the only thing I can come up with that maybe serves as a negative against this episode, and even if it is a mistake, I still don't think I'd take even a half a point off for that. No, but you can chalk that up just being a nervous twitch, kind of like biting your fingernails. Right, exactly. Like I said, it's maybe it's a mistake, but there's so many ways around it. You can justify it from almost any way you look at it. That mm-hmm. it's, You just have to go, okay, it's not a mistake, it works. You're right, he's mm-hmm. nervous. He just, it's almost like a smoker who will put a cigarette in, take three puffs, and then toss it out and go, damn, why did I do that, and lights up a new cigarette. Like I said, I was hesitant to call it a mistake to begin with, but I had to bring it up because we were looking for negatives, but that's not yeah. really a negative. So, And that's how you know an episode is great is when you're trying to find something wrong with it. Okay, so the next episode is Trial, and in this one, there's a new district attorney in town, and her name is, ah, uh, oh, shoot, we said earlier, something Van... Janet Van Dorn. Janet Van Dorn. And she is taking a very hard-nosed approach to Batman, because when this episode begins, Pamela Isley is uh, being sentenced. Uh, I don't think we know for what. It doesn't matter, really. And this new district attorney, she has recommended that Pamela receive life in prison, but because she was apprehended by Batman and not 
a law enforcement agent, she is actually going to be remanded to Arkham Asylum until she's treated and then, of course, released and brought back by Batman, thus creating this revolving door. Well, uh, Van Dorn, Van Dorn, is that what we said? Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, she's pissed off at this. So she goes on the news and said, I've had enough of Batman's garbage. And the reporter, one of the reporters asks her, oh, it sounds like you want to put Batman on trial because she believes Batman's created these these villains. And she's like, yes, very much so. And ironically, later in the episode, she and Batman wind up kidnapped and the rogues, uh, most of whom serve as the jury, the Joker serves as the judge, are telling her that they have to or she, pardon me, she has to prove that Batman did not create them. And if she can do that, they'll both go free. But if the judge and jury decide, no, Batman did create us, off with their heads. Mm-hmm. And uh, that pretty much sums up the episode. I mean, the only thing I really left out is that Harvey Dent's play, playing the prosecutor. Yeah. So, and, But we'll get into that as we talk about the episode, I'm sure. So. Mm-hmm. Thoughts about this one? Well, if The Strange Secret of Bruce Wayne was a fan favorite episode, then this one must be damn near a wet dream. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, wow. You've got the entire, or I would say almost the entire Batman rogues gallery in one episode, and most of them have speaking roles. Mm -hmm. So it's not like they're just in the background standing around. You've got got the Hatter, you've got Two-Face, Joker... Uh, um, Ivy, Harley, just all of them. A scarecrow, shit. Yeah, I think of Scarface. His, I think of his major roles, roles of, of his major rogues. I mean to say, the Penguin is the only one who's not there. I mean, there's little ones who aren't there, like the Clock King isn't there. Maxi Zeus, sorry for bringing him up again, he isn't there. But Penguin's the only major rogue that isn't there, mm-hmm. to my and- knowledge. And Penguin, I think... Shouldn't be there to begin with. Right, he's in Stonegate. Right, I mean, but here's the thing, though. Croc is here. Why is Croc in Arkham? Exactly. You know, and as uh, Van Dorn is being led to the the quote-unquote courtroom, and she's passing all these people, they all look like thugs and not people who who should belong in an insane asylum. Mm-hmm. There's one dude who looks like a biker. He's got this, you know, thick, scruffy beard uh, on his issue, you know, on his uh, asylum issued shirt. The sleeves are ripped off. You know, he looks like, you know, what you would consider a cliched biker thug. But it's like, why is this guy in Arkham? He should be over in some real prison. Right. So they were kind of, not even kind of, they really were blurring the line between prison and an insane asylum here. I mean, it almost made me think that the asylum was connected in some way to the prison, and they just, like, opened the doors and let everybody just go wherever they wanted. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, and because if this were, like, a, like really, like, an asylum, there would be people just standing around drooling mm-hmm. or uh, crocheting or something. Yeah. You know, just, they, they wouldn't all be in a huge mob cheering and booing for whatever the decisions the Joker and the uh, cast and crew there make. Right, yeah, I mean, they'd still be, you're right, they'd still be coming off their meds. There might be some who were a little more coherent than others, but for the most part, they'd be docile. Yeah. And, I mean, there, like I said, you know, there'd be a couple who, you know, might be a little more violent, you know, maybe your Hannibal Lecter types, you know, basically mm-hmm. your Joker types, 
But yeah, everybody or else. Victor Zaz. Yeah. Oh God. But everybody <laughs> else should be just sitting in their, you know, cells, like not caring about what's going on. Like, oh, Batman's here. Okay. Uh, you know. Kind of like in the scene in Batman Begins, mm-hmm. where where he blows the wall off of the cell, and the guys are just sitting there, and they just kind of look at him and look back at each other, yeah. don't even say a word. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so that, that's a major, major problem with this one. One of them. Yeah. Well, I can tell you don't like this episode as much as me, but yeah, yeah I re- I really just I enjoy this episode. That you know that problem with the uh, asylum, notwithstanding, um, they. There's another, like we said earlier, the hit him with the rock. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> reference. Um, I'm trying to think. See, what I had to do here with this episode, there, there's so many things with this episode. I had to go back and watch it a second time yeah. to make sure I didn't miss anything. Uh-huh. Um, I thought it was a nice, it was nice that this episode tackled the issue that Batman is not an officer of the law. Mm-hmm. And they had, at the very beginning, you have this judge saying, well, yeah, she was captured. She was commit. She committed a crime. But you know what? Batman is not a, an officer of the law, so we have we have no choice but to send her back to Arkham. Mm-hmm. And I like that. It's it, it's another uh, like real life touch that they added to this episode. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you the little things that I like about this episode. I love Joker playing the Irish priest when they're about yes. to execute Batman in the, not electric chair, but more like an electric table. You have to assume it's probably a shock treatment table that they've modified to kill someone. And he's, I mean, you've got Mark Hamill playing the Joker playing an Irish priest. It's hilarious. That is probably my second favorite moment in this episode. Um, And I'll get to what my first is in a a minute here. Um, There's another reference to Paul Levitt's. When the Joker's on uh, on his on his bench playing the judge, he's reading an old school DC comic. You can tell because at the top there's kind of this checkered bar. That's very uh, you'll see that on a lot of old school uh, DC comics. And if you just take a quick glance, it looks like he's looking at a Jimmy Olsen comic, but he's actually looking at a uh, it's called Jemmy, not Jimmy, but Jemmy Levitz. Which, again, it's a clear reference to both Jimmy Olsen and Paul Levitt. So I thought that was cute. I thought, uh, this was the, was this the first time we got a hint at Harley Quinn's origin? Or did we get hints before? Um. Because. No, this was the first, I right, think. Right. Uh, Van Dorn says of, of, of Quinn, you know, you, she used to be a, a, a doctor here until the Joker twisted her mind and all this and that. You know, that I thought was really good. Um. I thought there was a little thing that, you know, it's sort of fanboyish, I guess. You know, every now and then, you know, they have a lot of voice roles to fill out. And they don't have, like, enough, they don't have, like, kind of nameless actors on hand to do those parts. So, they'll like, they'll have, like, Mark Hamill in studio, so they'll have him do someone else. Mm-hmm. And in this one, Mark Hamill plays the Mater D. In the scene where Bruce and Van Dorn are kind of getting together... Oh, you mean the, uh, the psychic waiter who knows that Bat- when when Bruce just lifts his hand up and he knows to turn around? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah him, him, exactly. That's if you listen, that's Mark Hamill. So I, I kind of <laughs> like that. And you're right; he is totally psychic. Now, the number one thing I like in this clusterfuck of an episode, because I really think it's a clusterfuck. I think it's a good idea, 
but there's just way too much going on. They have all these villains wanting screen time, and the writers clearly didn't know how to balance it out. You know, you've got all these great personalities, all wanting them to, they all want to choose scenery, but they can't, and it just results in a cluster. But that aside, the number one thing I liked about this episode was the cameo of the Punisher. Remember when Batman enters Gordon's office and Van Dorn's in there and she's talking about wanting to, you know, stop this gang called the Skulls and Mm -hmm. Batman says, beat you to it. And he pulls back the blinds. If you look, the guy that's hanging upside down, he's wearing a pink shirt, but on the pink shirt is the Punisher's classic skull. And the thing is, if you actually look at the character's face, it's the Punisher's face. He's got the black hair, and if you look at his nose, it's very flat. And back in the 90s, John Romita Jr. used to draw the Punisher with a flat nose. And the reason he did that, he would actually model the Punisher on one of his uncles. And his uncle used to be, you know, for lack of a better word, we'll say a roughneck. He got into a fight or two in his day. And because of that, his nose was broken over and over and over again, resulting in it being kind of flat and broad. You know, when Mm -hmm. your nose gets broken so many times, it gets twisted around and kind of mushed up. That's how he drew the Punisher. And in this scene of this guy hanging upside down, the nose is drawn that way. So it's clear that that's supposed to be the Punisher in a pink shirt, of course. And I thought it was a nice little, even though I'm a Punisher fan, I thought it was a nice little jab at the character and at Marvel. So I'm a Marvel fanboy, but, you know, I can I can laugh at, uh, you know, jabs being taken at them. I'm good humored like that. So did you not catch that? Did you not notice that? Honestly, I, I didn't because I don't know much about the Punisher. Okay, I didn't know. I've never, I've never really read many Punisher comics. I didn't know if just seeing the skull would, you know, make you realize or make you even wonder if that was the Punisher, but... See, the the guy was tied up so much, I didn't really notice it. I just, all I noticed was, like, you know, the the mat, he was, his, he was gagged, and he had the the bat, the twine all around him, so... Right, yeah, it's, it's one of those things where it happens very quick, you know, again, another one of those blink and you miss it type things. But mm-hmm. if you do take a second to pause it and you look at the character, and hell, if you don't know anything about the way the Punisher's nose should be drawn, the way John Romita used to do it, you know, all that aside, if you just look at the skull, that's the classic Punisher skull. And uh, again, I just, bravo to them for, for having a little Punisher cameo in there, even though he's obviously going to jail. Um, but really, those are the only things I like about this episode. What I said earlier about it being a clusterfuck, I have to stand behind that. There was just too much going on. I wish they could have found a way, <coughs> pardon me, I wish they could have found a way to trim down the number of villains that appeared in this one. But then again, you lose the whole jury aspect, but they didn't necessarily need it because you've got the Joker. And the Joker, you know, Van Dorn could be like, well, what about a jury? And the Joker could be like, I'm the jury, you know? It's, like for it doesn't matter to him. He's he's so insane. He's got twelve people living in his head that could be the jury. You know. Yeah. Well, I think what I liked most about this episode um, is the continuity everywhere. There's they they uh, they make references to all kinds of past episodes. Harley and Ivy, you know, they talk. You know, they kind of chatted up in the beginning of the episode. Um, they go over Hatter, the Mad Hatters origin. 
they uh, let's see what else they they you know uh, Ivy takes another jab at at Dent mm-hmm. in the in the which was a hilarious moment mm-hmm. it really was because he's like Batman hey you should have let me bump off Harvey Dent we'd all be better <laughs> off wouldn't we Harv? <laughs> <laughs> Harvey's ever like brass of foot. <laughs> that that is just it's a hilarious moment. Um, but yeah, I think that's what I love most about this episode is just the way they they manage to just keep the continuity going with all you know even with you know, like over half a dozen of the rogues gallery hanging around. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I I guess I disagree with you about the clusterfuck. I think they they uh they gave the villains as much screen time as they possibly could. Given given all of them that were there, they got. Like I said, most of them had speaking roles, and that when you have like the uh, uh, like a real clusterfuck, it's like, well, they kind of just stand around, and then they maybe uh, maybe say a, like a word or two here, but you know, Hatter had some lines, Two Face had lines, Croc, even though he shouldn't have been there, had some lines, uh, Joker had lines, Harley had lines, Ivy had lines. Uh, you know, I think the only ones, the only person that was there that didn't have lines was Riddler yes, and uh, Scarecrow. And Scarecrow, right? Oh, we forgot Scarface is there. He's the bailiff. Oh, right, right, uh, right. Scarface, of course. Because that was who... that was one of that's one of my <clears throat> biggest gripes with this episode is that they play Scarface up as a dummy, where previously when we saw him, we know he's a dummy. We get it. But here, they constantly have his head and neck bobbing up and down like you would do in a comedy routine with a ventriloquist dummy. And I really didn't like the fact that they were doing that with Scarface here. Well, I think he, the one, the one moment I remember him doing that is when uh, uh, Wesker says, "Oh yay, oh yay," mm-hmm. and then and then he just screams. You know, Scar, the Scarface uh, dummy, he just screams like, "He said, oh yay, dirt bags." Yeah, so I can I can excuse it there see, because he's he's supposed to be screaming at the top of his wooden lungs. See, the thing is, I I can't excuse it because we've seen him get upset in you know in his first appearance. We saw him yelling mm-hmm. at people, and his whole body would move almost in a threatening manner towards them, as if he was lunging. It wasn't that his head would just pop up like a rock'em sock'em robot. So mm-hmm. again, I, I like the the Scarface character so much that I didn't like him seeing played up. As an actual dummy, yes, that's what he is, but that's not how he's been portrayed before, and that's not how he's portrayed after this either, to my knowledge. I, I don't mm. know. I just, I, I think whoever was storyboarding this one was trying to play him up for too much comedy when they really shouldn't have been. You know, maybe they didn't. Maybe they never saw. Uh, maybe it was the person who never saw the first Scarface episode. Maybe, maybe. But there was one other thing that I do like in this episode, and that's when. I forget what happens, but Scarface says something to Van Dorn, and then she cracks the ventriloquist. No, it was Ivy. He was like, you, you're you beautiful when you're angry. Oh, okay, so right, and then so she cracks the ventriloquist, right? Yeah, and, and then and his head... Like, ah. <laughs> if you'll notice, Scarface's head jerks back, too. I th- I'm uh, I'm almost positive that when that happens, his his head goes back. Too. Oh, I didn't notice that. I just I just love the fact that you know he makes a smart remark. The ventriloquist gets hit, and then the Scarface is like, "Ah, t- you got hit because of me." You know, <laughs> I can say what I want because they know it's you. You know, I, I thought again. I'll, I'll give them props. We'll say for for that. Um, um 
I think they, if, I may be grasping at straws here, I think when the Mad Hatter is on the stand, and when he asks Joker to strike a remark from the record, I think that, that might be an homage to the Disney Alice in Wonderland courtroom scene. Uh, because I, I'm almost positive that in that scene, uh, some, you know, they have, they have the queen who's basically a mock judge and none of the, none of it's making any sense. Just like any, everything that's going on here in this courtroom scene in Arkham. So I, I think that was, that might have been an homage to the Disney Alice in Wonderland movie. Because, you know, you have the hatter asking, asking the, the joke of a judge to, no pun intended, to, uh, strike a remark from the record. So, uh, like I said, maybe I'm grasping at straws there, but I thought I th- that's immediately what I thought of when he said that to the Joker. You know me. Hmm. So I, so I, I, so I enjoyed that. Sorry. Yeah, so I, I like, if that is what they did, cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know me and my Alice in Wonderland yeah. uh, fanboys. Yeah. Now, an- another thing I'm not keen on in this one is that when uh, Harley Quinn is on the stand, uh, Van Dorn reveals to her that the Joker had previously ratted Harley out. Harley had escaped at one point. They were police were looking for her, so they said, "Hey, Joker, where would she go?" And Van Dorn reveals that the Joker ratted Harley for. Uh, I, I can't even get the words out because it just pains me to say, for them considering a more lenient sentence for the Joker. You're telling me, you are seriously telling me that the the powers that be in Gotham City would make an offer to the Joker to bring to in get Harley. Harley Quinn? Like, really? The Joker has killed how many thousands of people? Oh, God. Yeah, we'll let you out if, we, if you help us find your girlfriend so you can go kill more people and then end up right back here. He's not someone who... Like, you could make a case that the Riddler might reform. You could make a case that maybe, maybe Scarecrow and the Mad Hatter might reform. Maybe even Harley Quinn, if she had some serious... If she sat down with, like, uh, a counselor that specialized in uh, spousal abuse, Two-Face, even, I could believe, would be a potential candidate for reform. But He the, almost he almost does in a later episode, too. In, in the comics, there are several times where he reforms, but then ends up Two-Face again. But the Joker, the Joker, never, ever in his life will he reform. So that irks me to no end. It's so pathetic. It's such a cheap attempt to drive a wedge between Harley and Mr. J. I mean, there's better ways to have done it. So many. I mean, they could have said that that Joker was making kissy face with one of the nurses while Harley was out. And that would work so much better than, oh, he ratted you out for a lighter sentence. Oh, my God. I'm sorry. That's weak. (laughs) Weak. I can't disagree with you there. I thought it was funny, though, Joker being the judge was the best thing that they could have done with this episode, <laughs> like I think you said earlier. Um, his his line about, is, some, is someone supposed to be writing this down? <laughs> yeah, that is good. <laughs> that had me rolling the first time I watched this over again, because mm-hmm. I, hadn't, I hadn't seen this episode in, God, years. So I laughed so hard when I heard that. One thing that irked me about this episode was the very, very, very end of the episode. You have the sun rising over... Arkham. 
that, no. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't want to see that. Yeah. It, it ruins the image of Arkham to have the sun rising up behind it all. Little, you know, just in what's supposed to be a positive moment. Mm-hmm. So, I, yeah, hated that. Um, what, I wanted to ask you something about this, though. Uh, before that, before the uh, sun rising over Arkham portrait, uh, Van Dorn and Batman are standing outside Arkham. You know, Van Dorn has a blanket. She's drinking, you know, coffee or whatever she's drinking out Whiskey. there. Yeah, probably, after what she just went through. Uh she says she's going to still work towards a city that doesn't need Batman. And then Batman says, me too. Um, what did you think about I that? I like that line. Yeah, I did too. I just, I, because that, that's something you need to remember about Bruce. I, you know, he doesn't want to be Batman. He has to you know? be Batman. Yeah, he's compelled to be Batman. Yeah, I mean, another thing you have to remember about the character is that when it comes to, you know, like, when it... If you look at the character, he's very much a pessimist. But if you examine the character, he's an optimist. He does everything he does so that other people don't have to. He doesn't want to be Batman. He wants to clean up Gotham and the world, really, of crime, so that one day he can hang up the cape and cowl and just basically fade away into obscurity. So it's like, yeah... He's, you could make a case that he's a pessimist, but really, if you think about it, he's an optimist. You, you understand what I'm saying there? I yeah. mean, oh yeah. It's, I'm, I'm sure we'll get emails about this this subject here, where people saying, "No, he's not," but no, he really is. I mean, if you're a crime fighter, you have to be an optimist because you have to assume that these people that you're sending to jail are going to get better, be it at an asylum or in jail. They're going to see the error of their way and once they get out, they'll be reformed. You're not going to have to punch them in the face and send them back to jail again. You have to have that kind of hope. Otherwise, why are you doing it? So, even mm-hmm. Batman, you know, has has a bright outlook somewhere. Somewhere. Yeah. Um, yeah. One scene we haven't really talked much about is the uh, the scene where that Batman's about to be killed and unmasked mm-hmm. and everything. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, an- there was another great, you know, one-liner in that that scene. It was where uh, Scarface, you know, Joker grabs the gun out of Scarface's hand and he says, "Don't, you'll hit Croc." And he's like, "What's your yeah. point?" Yeah. <laughs> That's the Joker yeah, right and there. He, I mean, he's, he doesn't even whisper it. I mean, he says it so Croc can hear it, and Croc kind of calls him on it a little later too. I think he's like. Watch where you're shooting, clown. Yeah, and then, you know, the Joker's bullets from earlier have pierced the generator and then fry crack when those two wires come out and shock the shit out of him. And then he almost shoots Harley, too. Oh, that's right, that's right. She gets, she gets pissed off at him again. Yeah, you know, you know I'll, I'll, I'll say that that's another good thing about this episode. That whole fight scene, it basically takes place in the dark. Only We only get shadows and outlines, you know... And it's it's just a very cool Batman moment. When the lights mm-hmm. go out, you better be careful because now this guy, it doesn't matter that it's, you know, 12 to 1 or whatever, he has the advantage. Because he gets out of the chair he's a, and out of the straitjacket, and he gets Harley, hangs her upside down, puts her in the straitjacket, gets his belt back, and he starts kicking all the ass all over the place. 
And while the the rogues are distracted by what's happening to Croc, he grabs Van Dorn and is able to sneak out. You know, it mm-hmm. was it was animated well, and it was great storytelling, great characterization on all their parts, not just Batman. And it just it just came together nicely. But a scene really doesn't make an episode for me. It, right. It'll um, give it an extra point or two, but that's all. Um, one thing I kind of wondered about was Van Dorn when she, when Two Face comes into her, into the cell that they've there they've got her uh, holed up in. Uh, I thought it was kind of weird that she called him Two Face. I thought that being a DA, she would have called him Harvey Dent. Or just Harvey. Yeah, it kind of shocked me when she called him Harvey, but I think what she... Called, no, no, she called him Two-Face. I'm sorry, yeah, yeah, you're right, you're right, sorry. I meant to say it shocked me when she didn't call him Harvey, that she did call him Two-Face. Be, you know, at first it did, but then when you think about it, she's really just seeing them all as monsters, as freaks. So it makes sense not to uh, give him, you know, a real name. And, and just call him by what he is now, Two-Face. Mm-hmm. So, I guess you can sort of justify it, but I can see where you're coming from, too. Well, it's not something I'm... It's, I'm not, like, uh, irked about right. or anything. It was just, just kind of weird. Uh-huh. Yeah. Like it's just something I kind of noticed when she said it. Like I said, I can see both sides of the coin, and I can make an argument both ways, too. So, I, I'm, I'm, even though I'm justifying it, I'm with you at the same time. If that's mm-hmm. possible. <laughs> okay, and our next episode is Avatar. Uh, this is the, you know, it's the return of Rachel Ghoul. He's, he's fa- uh, made his way to Gotham City because... Uh, Bruce Wayne has this uh, exhibit, is, or is, he's sponsoring this uh, Egyptian uh, exhibit with all these artifacts from like thousands and thousands of years ago, including this one one uh, artifact that's apparently the oldest uh, Egyptian artifact known to man, and it's half of a scroll of Osiris. I think that's what mm-hmm. it's called, um, and. It's like you said. It's just half of it. Nobody knows where the other half is. So, Raish, you know, breaks into this exhibit to steal it. Comes and he comes across uh, Batman, and Batman is of course shocked no, because no, he thought. Ubu breaks in. Oh right, that's right. Ubu breaks in, and then once he subdues Ubu, uh, Raish makes his appearance, and Batman is of course shocked because he thought Raish was dead. Um. So, you know, he. They they poison Batman with a, you know throwing a snake at him and they they manage to get away so you know Bat Batman basically has to go to Gibraltar and get uh, uh, Talia's help in in uh, in stopping Raish from whatever his latest plan is which is revealed to be uh, once he pieces the two uh, the pieces of the scroll together because apparently because t- Talia reveals that he has the other half that Raish has the other half of it he's going to piece it together and uh, I th- he's going to gain like ultimate knowledge and power from uh, what was it Thoth I can't remember the name yeah some Egyptian uh, goddess I don't even know right uh, and I'm trying to remember he, he he'll basically become all knowing and legit immortal I think was what it was going to boil down to was that it question mark 
I, I, I don't know. I, I that's my answer. Question mark. I don't yeah, know. I, I don't either. That's I, I was confused about that this whole episode. But that's yeah. You know, that's basically what it, what the uh, episode was. I guess so, so. I guess yeah. This is I don't. This episode is just so confusing on so many levels, and it's a huge disappointment because it's got Rachel Ghoul in it. Not or not because it has Rachel, but because it's a Rachel episode. No, I think you nailed it on the head, and this is what I wrote in my notes. Remember the episode that introduced Rachel Ghoul and Talia? What was that called? Mm-hmm. Uh, Off Balance? Right. Okay, that one we gave extra points because it introduced those characters. Mm-hmm. This one, I think you have to take extra points away from because it's a Rachel Ghoul and Talia episode. We've come right. to That's what I was trying so to say. much from those characters <laughs> that to use them in an episode like this to, to almost soil the characters with this kind of episode, you have to go, whoa, 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 whoa. No, that, that's not right. I'm taking points off. If it was any other character, I guarantee you my, my score, which we'll get to you know in a little while here, would be slightly higher. But because they dared use Rache and Talia in this way, I have to say, screw you to the producers and take extra points off. Because this should not have been the reintroduction of Rachel al Ghul. This episode there is, only, is terrible. Yeah, there is only one reason that Rache was used in this episode. And that's because they couldn't use him. And that's because they have Showdown coming up later on. And they can't very well have him make his re-debut right. there because that episode isn't about Raish, it's about uh, Jonah Hex. Mm-hmm. So that's the only reason that Raish was used in this episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, because you know, Just because they couldn't do it in the next episode. and They couldn't have Raish coming back because that would be, you know, OMG, he's back. And then have Jonah Hex be the focal point of the right, whole episode. Yeah. No, so I, so I understand what you're saying there, and you're absolutely right. They needed to reintroduce him if they were going to do that showdown episode, but this was not the way. Oh my at god! All. No. I mean, I don't even know if I have a positive note for this episode. I'm looking. Uh, you know what? I have the very first thing I wrote down was about the title card, and it's a cool title card because if you've seen the episode before, you can pick up subtle little clues what it's going to be about. We have an Egyptian queen, her profile in that kind of Egyptian hieroglyphic kind of way, facing Rachel Ghoul. And it looks like they're about to embrace and a kiss, which of course happens later on in the episode. And over on the bottom right is the, you know, the Bat logo, implying that, you know, of course, Batman's going to have a say in this. And of course he's going to, because it's called Batman the Animated Series, for God's sakes. So the title card is cool. And okay, you know what? maybe there's more. I think I thought of one. There, the end of the episode where Ubu throws mm-hmm. the water, the water canteen at Batman. That you know, a sign of respect. Yeah. That was cool because he saved Ubu's life just a minute yeah. ago. That was cool. Other than that, though, um, before I start ranting on this episode, um, how often before Batman met Superman did? Uh, Batman fight legitimately supernatural forces, like he did in this episode. Um, okay, there was this. There's the one with the demon, but that's after Superman the Animated Series. Yeah, so he's he's already met Superman by that um, point. It's in, and robot I'm, robots are not supernatural. Right, either, yeah, they're, so. they're they're sci-fi. Now, in the episode with the demon, it's implied that Batman knows magic and knows Jason Blood. But so we haven't seen it, so that doesn't count. That's retconned in. Um, mm-hmm. 
I'm trying to think about the upcoming episodes. Do I have my? Uh, I don't have my list of episodes. Do you have a list of, ep- of forthcoming episodes? I uh, like you know, I said before we started recording here. I've been watching the next few episodes because this Batman the Animated Series is almost over. For yeah, us here. it is. Let me. I'm, and I got my. I don't think there are any. I okay, don't. upcoming. I'm looking. We have sci-fi episodes in the form of Time Out of Joint. Very superheroish episodes. Um, we have a kind of uh, British spy episode, sort of, kind of, in the line of the unicorn. Mm-hmm. We, have we have Showdown, a Western episode, and no we have Bane, but that Bane's not supernatural. Yeah, that's so. just yeah. No, this this is it. This is absolutely it. This is the only time we have Batman actually fighting something that's supernatural. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I guess it's memorable for that question mark. Yeah, again, with the question marks, it's this this episode's memorable for being crap. A whole yeah. lot of crap. And like I said, it pains me to say that about a Rachel Ghoul episode. I mean, had this been a one-off villain, I guarantee you my score would be higher. I've already said it, but I have to reiterate that. But you just don't yeah. use Rach in an episode like this. I mean, it's not even Rachel Ghoul. He doesn't even act like himself. Like... When he opens up the, 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 the sarcophagus or the tomb or whatever, and he goes for the scrolls. These scrolls have been hidden for thousands of years, and Rachel freaking ghoul didn't think that the second they come in contact with air, they might crumble to dust? Rachel ghoul, one of the smartest men in the world, doesn't think about that, doesn't take proper care to unearth these treasures that he has sought, that he has said he has sought for 500 years. That is not Rachel Ghoul. That's something stupid that the Penguin would do. Yep. Rachel Ghoul would not do that. that. I'm telling you, I really wish they would. I really wish they would have came out and said this wasn't Rach. That it was like, I don't know, a Rach robot. I don't care. <laughs> it, they could have said it was Mystique from the X Men in, infiltrating Batman, <laughs> pretending to be some old man. I, I don't care. Rach is not that stupid, and it irks me. It irks me to no end that, that they would portray Raish as not realizing that these ancient scrolls are going to crumble in his palms. Oh, brutal, brutal. And then, worst part is, he stumbles across the real secret. He's been searching for this thing for 500 years, and he doesn't know that the real way into the tomb is by pressing one of the heads on the side? No. Rachel Ghoul would have... He just would have said, oh, yeah, the, those scrolls, we can leave them. Boop! And just press the little button head thing and walk down and made out with the Egyptian goddess. Oh. Which, again, leads me back to our original question mark, question mark, question mark, which was, what was his goal right. here? I, I'm assuming it was, because he, he, he asked the, 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 uh, the goddess, I guess, that... Uh, you know, give me your secrets. Secrets to what? Yeah, I mean, is it eternal life? I mean, it's it's almost like Darkseid's anti-life equation. It's mm-hmm. like, what's the anti-life equation? Oh, I don't know, it just sounds cool. It's kind of like what they were doing here. What's Rache after? Who knows? It's Egyptian, it's creepy, it's cool. Like, no, really, it's... I want to know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but let's go all the way back to the okay. beginning in the, in the uh, museum. Um, like I said earlier, the utility belt is the, you know, far, here it further demonstrates its hierarchical godhood over the DCAU with anti-venom to a rare Egyptian cobra. 
Um, yeah, uh, you, you can't just pull out a Venom and it works on everything. Yeah. <laughs> well, wait, I'm sorry, you know what, Batman yeah. can, because he's Batman. And aren't those gloves supposed to be Kevlar? Oh, what happened this time? What did I miss? Oh, the snake well, bit through it, yeah. Yeah, what the oh, fuck? I didn't even think about that. A bullet, a bullet can't pierce him, but a snake fang can? <laughs> okay. Yeah, you know you know what? Let me, ooh, I can sort of justify this one just a little. A knife can pierce Kevlar because it's going much slower. Sharp, pointy things can go through bulletproof vests much easier than fast projectiles. If there's anybody out there that's a gun expert or a former soldier or that or whatever that knows a little about bulletproof uh, uh, vests and can either uh, back me up on this or tell me I'm completely off base, please write in and let us know. Again, that email address is feedback at worldsfinestpodcast.com. That's feedback at worldsfinestpodcast.com because I know I've heard that somewhere. And I want to know about this too because I, I you know, Kevlar just – Piques my curiosity just because it's it's so you know it's so weird you know you can make something that can stop you know it's a it's a material that can stop a bullet flying at you at ridiculous speeds so mm-hmm. you know it's just it's just always piqued my curiosity yeah. so I'd like to yeah, answer. someone please write in and and like I said back me up or if I'm wrong tell me I'm wrong I have no problem being wrong so let me know. Ugh. God, now we got to go back to this oh, episode. Oh, crap. Let's see. I'm trying to look at my notes and see if I can find anything else that was nice. Oh, I know. Karate Chop Bruce. When he's walking around in Gibraltar looking for Talia, he pulls out all these yeah. karate moves against those quote-unquote police officers, and yeah. he just is standing there with his foot up, and I expect him to pull a Bruce Lee and be like, Wah! and before he, like, <laughs> put his leg back down, because he just, he just kind of pivots on his foot, like, yeah, anybody else out here? I didn't think so, bitches. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll give it a point for that, because that was a really funny moment, because he's, like, in this kind of, like, light-colored suit, and he's got this really cool hat on, you know? He does, he's not... He looks like he's going on an African safari. So. I mean, he's not wearing his typical lame-ass brown suit. I mean, he, he's dressed completely differently, and that was, uh... It, it was a fun little moment. But as I said earlier, if a scene doesn't make an episode, a moment can't make an episode. No. The Talia and Bruce relationship was non-existent here, too. Yeah, she just calls I, him beloved a few times, they hug, and that's, like, it. I, yeah, I just, they, just didn't feel it at all. Yeah. Not even not even a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of what we saw in the Demon's no. Quest. And you know what, though? I wonder if that is brought on by the fact that we just saw uh, the Mask of the Phantasm. And we saw him in another loving relationship, one that actually was deeper than the one he has with Talia, one that affected him very greatly forever. That that relationship is going to leave him scarred. So I wonder if that's why, but I don't know. I think maybe see, this is one of those episodes where you don't you're not willing to give them the benefit of the doubt. On that's much. true. It's just, and that we've—it's—it's it's just what happens when you have a crappy episode. You're not—you're just going to be the—you're going to be pessimistic about everything that has that maybe could go one way or another. Yeah. So. You know, now I, I have a question though. Why did Bruce call Raish a chauvinist? He calls him the world's oldest chauvinist. When did when have we ever seen Raish be a chauvinist? Did I miss something? Uh, 
Uh, I mean, we've seen him in the Demon's Quest, and we see him here. I've never seen him be a chauvinist, not in the cartoon. Not that I, that I can remember. And the I mean, line seems so out of place, because he's going on about this Egyptian goddess, queen or whatever, blah, 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 and Batman's like, oh, you're in love like a schoolboy, or whatever he says, when I thought you were the world's oldest chauvinist. It's like, what, what how? <laughs> you know, I mean, he's... He's essentially priming his daughter to take over his empire. How is that chauvinistic? Yeah. I mean, he'd be like, oh, woe is me. I don't... I mean, he does kind of say, I don't have a son, so I need an heir. But you know Talia's going to get the empire anyways. He's, mm-hmm. You know, oh, it just... It, it, it was a little line that kind of bugged me, because it's like it came out of left field. Yeah. I mean... Again, makes no yeah. sense. Hey, a recurring theme for this episode. Yeah, pretty much so. You know, and, and, okay, yeah, speaking of not making sense, Batman has another grenade out of nowhere, and mm-hmm. he throws it at this Egyptian whatever she is. It does nothing to her. It just causes a bunch of muck to go flying everywhere. So a grenade can't affect her, but a building collapsing on top of her can. Yeah, exactly. An explosive you gotta... blowing, you know, explosive going off at her feet, nothing. A building hitting her on the head, s- causing her to actually scream. Okay, uh, if, if okay, I, I... She, isn't she supposed to be a goddess? That's the thing. Wouldn't, that, that's... Would, a, neither a grenade nor anything falling on top of her. Would right, hurt her. that's that's my point. Because she she doesn't make a peep when the grenade goes off, but she outright screams when the building hits her. When all those when all the rubble comes on her, she's like, Aah! it's like, wait, what? Like. Like, what, what was that? Like, oh my god! It just, uh, I'm still trying to figure out just what the hell she was in the first place. They they call her a goddess, but she was killed uh, thousands of years ago by these people, yeah. and they sealed her up in this tomb. But she's, but now she's like uh, this slime creature. Mm-hmm. It, it, what the fuck <laughs> is she? Yeah, I, I I just don't know. Oh God. Can, couldn't we just have like, uh, like the shadow thief be the villain here? I mean, really, just put the shadow thief in there, and he can come back and be cool and Justice League Unlimited. <laughs> I wouldn't have minded. Yeah, I, just anybody, but Raish. Yeah, I just, I just, I mean, right off the bat, there's there's a huge mistake. Okay, Ubu enters the museum via rope, steals the half of the scroll, and how does he leave? Not by climbing the rope that he just used to enter, but by running out the door. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to be stealthy and enter through a rooftop window <laughs> and climb down a rope, but I'm going to trigger all the alarms on my way out. Like, what? And the fact of the matter is, they know that they're robbing Bruce Wayne, who they know is Batman, so why would they even want to alert him to what they're doing? I mean, some people might make the claim that Raish wanted Batman to to try to be the detective and all this and that, but that just doesn't even make sense because Raish says, you're going to suffer the fate of everybody else because you turned my offer down. So he clearly doesn't want Batman as his you know successor anymore. So you can't use that argument. Ubu should have climbed his fat ass up the fucking rope. Oh, oh terrible. Oh, <laughs> I don't know what else to say about this Come thing. On. I really don't. I just move Please. on. I mean, I have a couple <laughs> more notes about this one, but it's just it's just nothing. 
I mean, if you have anything else to say, please, I don't want to step on your toes, you know? We can talk about how stupid dropping the pillar on, on this slime creature would hurt her and all that grenade stuff, but, you know, the pillar, him knocking that pillar over was actually an homage to uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. No. So, you know, that was, that was kind of cool, but... You know, still, it, it makes no sense when you look I'm at it. I'm kind of fuzzy on that. What, when did uh, Indy do that in Raiders? Well, he he uh, wedges himself between the top uh, of that... God, what the hell was he in? Was it in that, when he was in that uh, snake pit thing? I th- I think. He, he wedges himself between the, the ceiling... And the top, and he forces he you know he forces some this thing to break open, mm-hmm. and so that's that's what I you know, I think that's what it was an homage to was Raiders of the Lost. Okay, Earth. so now I'm glad you you you've brought this moment up because earlier, if you remember, I questioned if Croc would be able to uproot and tip over a giant tree, even though he has you know immense strength thanks to uh, whatever has gone on with his body. I didn't think he'd be able to do that. Now, Batman, who is much stronger than a normal human, but not as strong as Croc, knocking over a giant flippin' statue? I really have to question, if I'm going to question Croc tipping over a tree. He was straining himself and straining himself. I wouldn't have been surprised if he had shit his pants there. (laughs) He was straining himself so badly. Lastly, for today, we have House and Garden. And in this one, a giant creature that sort of looks like a cactus uh, robs someone who sort of looks like the Riddler's old boss. And, you know, the police have, you know, they get wind of this. And, of course, they all suspect Pamela Isley. But, oh, no, even though it's a plant creature... That's attacking bachelors. Even though this is her M.O., it can't be her because she's married now, gosh darn it. And she's good because she lives in the suburbs and owns a station. She's just June Cleaver. (laughs) Yeah, she's June Cleaver with her station wagon and adopted kids and all this and that. Oh, boy. So Batman doesn't believe Gordon. He's like, this is bullshit. So Batman and Gordon jump in the Batmobile and they head out to the suburbs and they're like, hey, Pam, can we come in? And she's like, sure, why don't you check out my new digs? And they question her about what's going on. And she's like, no, I really have reformed. Um, she tells them, you know, I, I love this family. I never thought I could have one because um, I can't have kids. Because she says of her uh, advanced healing factor, her immunity to toxins and all that, she, her body's going to reject anything. That includes a new life form in her womb, which is kind of a sad moment, I might say. And uh, it does make sense. Well, I mean, if you have a hype, an immune system that that ridiculously high, then it does make mm-hmm. sense. She goes on about how being with her husband, I forget his name, but he's like a professor, but he's also a liaison between the police department and Arkham Asylum. Um, she's, she loves him, and she loves his two kids, these two little boys, these cute little boys who are big Batman fanboys. They're like, Mommy, have you seen the Batmobile? It's out there. Yay, Batman. Bye-bye, Batman. That was kind of cute. But anyways, you know, so Batman's like, hmm, I wonder, could she be reformed? So he doesn't believe her, so he stalks her throughout the suburbs, and eventually he does start to believe her, but then 
um, Dick Grayson gets kidnapped from college because he's going to be held ransom because Bruce Wayne, you know, is a millionaire, so he can get all this money, or a billionaire, he can get all this money from him, blah, 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 blah. And so Batman gets involved even further, and he really, at this point, starts suspecting that Ivy is not on the up and up, and something's going on, and Dick tips him off that, no, that professor who just happens to teach at the college Dick goes to, um... It doesn't have two little boys, he has two little girls. So at that moment, Batman knows something is up. They go to Har- or, uh, Ivy's place, there's a big to-do, we get these creepy pod people, baby, Hulk-like, swamp thing, creature things that try to eat Batman's balls off or something. <laughs> and then, like, everybody melts into goo, thanks to some weed killer that Batman planted in, that, that, that Batman fed into some frickin' pipes earlier in the episode while Robin was doing some flip doos off the roof. I mean... That that's really the end of the episode. It's this episode. It, it it's oh it's shit creepy, especially the end when we see the pod people things and they're these little babies and they're like mommy, mommy, and you know Batman has this moment where he drops his flashlight. It's sort of like you know later on in that in the Gotham Knights episode where we see Mister Freeze for the first time in a long mm-hmm. time, and you know what I'm talking about. And oh, Batgirl's yeah. like, oh, my God. It's We get that moment here, but with Batman. And you know if Batman's creeped out, a guy who has fought, you know, Clayface, and he just fought this Egyptian goddess and an immortal in the form of Rachel Ghoul and all this and that, for him to be creeped out by anything means it has to be fucking creepy. So that was a cool moment, and it is kind of weird, you know, what's going on there, but ultimately this episode is just ass, it's just, yeah. I see what they were going for here, but I just, I don't know, it just didn't work at all. I, I don't think they played the creep factor up enough. They played the monster factor up too much. God, were they goofy looking. Right, exactly. It's like, I'm a monster, give me five million dollars or your war dies, you know? I mean, it's like, that's what we get throughout the episode where this whole thing should have been Batman slowly uncovering Pamela Isley's, you know, pod people plot. I really don't think we should have got the monsters until the very end. There should have been monsters beforehand. Oh, this yeah, episode. Because there, you know, there's no effect at the end there. Because oh wow, there's monster monsters plural. Now. Right. It's like oh if no. You listen to the commentary. They're like, oh, we were trying to hide the faces, so the big shock at the end. You can see their monsters. You can see their cactus arms and nails throughout the whole goddamn thing. So when we finally see their stretched out mouths and chompy little teeth, it's like, okay, it's a monster. Yay! I guess you yeah. know. I watched. I watched that uh, the commentary, and I was like, um, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I didn't even know what to say. I was like, what? Well, they seem honestly. It's. I was watching. I was looking at their faces. The, uh, the guys that weren't talking on the commentary, and they didn't seem to be like they liked the episode either. Yeah. Honestly. I wonder why this one got chose, because the guy who was hosting the commentary, I, I don't know anything about him, and I could be wrong, but I got the feeling that he was like a BTAS fan that won a contest mm-hmm. or something, because they kept referencing the fact that he used to sleep in a Batman or Batmobile bed in college. He got laid. A lot. <laughs> Woo, man, that guy's a pimp. But anyways, he, like, that's the feeling I was getting off of that. So I have to wonder if he got to pick the episode. And if that's the case, you could tell that the producers were like, why are we doing this one? 
because yeah. it just you do commentary. The only time you do a commentary on a bad episode is if you're going to make fun out of the bad episode, like critters, right. like like they do later on with right. critters. Otherwise, you choose the great episodes, and you're like, oh, you know, this is why we did this, and this is why this episode's so awesome, and this is why you want to suck our dicks because we're so cool. That's fine. You know, do it that way. But don't sit there looking bored with, with one. It's like, and it was made worse by the it fact was... that this was a video commentary, so you could see they were bored. I think had oh, it yeah. just been an audio commentary, their boredom still would have come across, but not so much. I know, it was just blatant, because mm-hmm. they had Tim, Deeney, and Boyd Kirkland there. Yeah. Those were the three guys with this uh, Uber fanboy, whoever he was. And you could tell that none of them looked like they gave a shit about being there. Mm-hmm. Um, the episode itself, I think it, it's the most, at least the second half, it's the most gruesome episode since, uh, Mudslide. Okay, sure, yeah, I can see what you're saying. Um, now, that doesn't mean I like this episode by any stretch of the imagination, but I, it really was, at the end there, that was really cool. The, it was really creepy, it was like Good God! I was like, "What the fuck is going on here?" And then when, the, like, when Poison Ivy's clone melts, I was like, "Holy shit!" Yeah, that was kind of cool. That's something they mentioned on the commentary. Is that you know we think the big reveal is gonna be that the professor husband guy is alive, and what we saw earlier was really one of these monsters, and that these babies are really monsters too. You think that's the big reveal, but then you get this moment where Ivy turns out to be, you know, kind of a, you know, plant creature, too. So, you know, and then we end with her melting. So I'll give them a little credit for that, for, for not blowing their load in one shot. They were like, oh, there's this. A few more strokes. Oh, there's this, too. So that was kind of cool. But the thing that I have to go back on with that is there's kind of a plot hole, unless you can say something that contradicts me here. Um, Ro- I don't know who who was it that said... Um, that Ivy couldn't make these clo- these baby clones. She couldn't make girls. How was she able to make herself? Yeah, exactly. You know, it's it's flat out. She flat out says that she needed the husband for quote unquote raw materials. Wow, wow, <laughs> wow! Thanks for the imagery, Ivy. You know, and so that's why they had to make these babies males. But why didn't she just use her own DNA to make female babies then? You know, little little female, you know, poison ivies. I didn't get it. You're right. It is a big plot hole. Yeah, I don't, yeah, I was like, I don't get it. How is she there? How did she make a clone of herself if she couldn't have a female clone to begin yeah. with? And can you, can you um, explain to me why Dick Grayson was kidnapped? It, that was just like filler to me. It made no sense at all because all these other rich bachelors that were being robbed were just being robbed and poisoned. Right. Here, if they wanted, to, if they wanted to involve Grayson and Robin, they could have done it very simply. All they needed to say was that this guy taught at the college, and they say that. So then, mm-hmm. Batman could have had Dick snooping around. He finds a few things, and he says, "Hey, what, let, you know, let me throw my costume on, and we'll go partner up on this thing to, thing to go bust Poison Ivy." Right there, Dick's involved. You don't need this whole filler with the monster and the $5 million and Batman in the really cool-looking coat and Robin getting tossed around. You didn't need any of that. 
That was such a waste of time. There's no other way to put it. It was filler through and through. They're like, mm-hmm. shit, we need to we need to cover about six minutes. Well, let's have Robin get kidnapped again. And then, and it's like, uh, why did the creature try to kill him? Yeah. Uh, I mean, why? I mean, once he got the five million dollars, he should have run off. He should have just run the fuck off. And so, of course, he picks up Dick Grayson and prepares to throw him into the ocean. Why would you waste the time? Right. Think about why the creature runs away. Because his nails got chopped off. Oh, no. His nails got chopped off. Oh. And then it happens later on again when Dick grabs those shears. Like, who wants their weeds yeah. whacked? Oh, terrible, terrible. Boy, there's a great line. And there, there is a kind of... There was something I noticed as as a writer. And this goes back to the scene with Bruce on the pier uh, trying to pay the ransom for Dick Grayson. When... Bruce is talking to the creature. He says, let me see the boy before he's going to hand over the $5 million. And I have a feeling that when they wrote the script, and I'm not being perverted, I'm not trying to be funny, that he said, let me see Dick or show me Dick. But he keeps saying the boy. When Robin's not a boy. He's in college. Earlier on, we see him in his dorm room trying to go have sex with a girl. There's a cheerleader mm-hmm. in his room, and she's like, why'd you invite me up here? And he's like, oh, you know, studying. And he says, I forget what else he says. Talking. Yeah, and he's and... kind of raising his eyebrows. <laughs> and they're about to kiss when Batman mm-hmm. calls and deploys the ultimate weapon, the bat cock block. And he's like, you got <laughs> yes. help me right now, Grayson. He's actually kind of apologetic about it, though. It? <laughs> as, opposed, as opposed to every other time when he, he cock blocks him. So we see that he's in college... But he keeps calling him a boy, and I really have to think that they didn't want Batman to say, show me dick, or let me see dick. Because, I mean, that's the problem with the character's name. You have to be careful how you construct your sentences. And this goes back to what I was saying about me noticing this because I'm a writer. You know, you 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 just can't have Bruce Wayne or Batman say, I need to see dick, where's dick? There's too many stupid jokes that can be said, especially when you consider the perceived relationship that those two characters have. Mm-hmm. So, because it, it, it seems so out of place for him to be calling someone who's at least 18, 19, a boy. No, he's not yeah. going to do that. So, yeah. You know, I think uh, the the thing that should have tipped uh, Batman and Gordon and everybody else off uh when they got to Isley's house for the, that little house call that they made on her was she changed her last name. Oh yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. Pamela Isley would never ever in a million years change her last name. She is the ultimate feminist. Ha. I yeah. say she would never change her last name. That is an excellent point that never dawned on me. Huh? Just, that that right there should have just been like, wait a minute, something's not right here. Mm-hmm. And then and then she kisses the guy, yeah, you know, right in front of yeah. she and the and the boys. So right away something's amiss because if she kisses them, they're dead. Yeah, in the commentary, Paul Dini admits that's kind of a mistake. 
he says he played, you know, he kind of played a little loose with that. Like, oh, a peck on the cheek might mean that it's not as poisonous, you know, but it could be yeah. a clue. I mean, he kind of admitted that they fucked up without, and, and not in so many words, though. But the last name thing, that's, oof, oof, that is good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. Two things right there that should have just immediately tipped Gordon and Batman off. Well, and, and here's what I have to wonder. Batman, the world's greatest detective, keeps tabs on all of his criminals, is shocked to find out that one of these rogues is now married? How does he not know that she's out of Arkham, found a man, and married him in, in this six months time span? It's not like it's all happened in a day. You know, she met this doctor, mm-hmm. she gets out, and they eloped. They've been married for six months. You're telling me Batman lost track of Poison Ivy for six months? Bullshit. Yeah, there's no <laughs> way that's going to happen at all. It's it's just, this episode is just, oh. I, I don't know which God, one this... makes less sense, the previous one, Avatar, or this one, House and Garden. Because <laughs> the only thing I'm really giving this one is that the brief creepiness uh, in the in the basement with the pod people things. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe there's one or two other moments. I don't know. Okay, yeah, Grayson trying to get some. That, that's that. I guess that was that was a great moment. <laughs> but everything else is just sort of like, eh, what the hell did I just watch? And then, and then briefly, the Batsky flies. It hovers up out of the water and then is propelled forward to go after the creature. It's like, uh, wait, when did he fit the this this jet ski to fly? Or with a giant spring to have it bounce. <laughs> bounce off of what? Water? <laughs> all, it goes all the way down to the to the uh, the sand below the dock, and it, and it makes oh, it Oh, there you go. Okay, yeah, okay. He's got some crazy spring on it. Okay, I'll buy that. He, he, bought, it, he bought it from Wile E. Coyote. <laughs> and this is the episode where Montoya is a beat cop again. In, mm-hmm. not in Avatar, in Trial, she's still a detective. She's still wearing the skirt. But in this one, this is where she, something's happened. She's been demoted. Nothing, nothing, nothing makes sense. There, there are so many clues that it, that it's poison ivy that Batman should just punch her in the face and take her back to Arkham. But he's like, no, I'm going to give you a second chance because none of these clues really point at you. Like, come on. If there's a little suspicion and you have just a little evidence, you arrest the person. And they've got plant creatures walking around committing crimes using Ivy's M.O. That's enough to at least bring her in for questioning. Not showing up to her place in the burbs and going, oh, have you reformed? Yes, I've reformed. Okay, that's good enough for us. We'll leave now. Bull. Bull, bull, bull. And, and, and she still has those vine things uh, all over her house that, that ensnared that Batman. That is true. That is true. She was still <laughs> able to control these plants. Right. It's like she clearly has not reformed. But Batman walks away after getting snagged by these vines. He's like, maybe you have reformed. And then he leaves. Like, <laughs> just, he just got pulled off the roof. walks off. He just got pulled off the <laughs> roof by some living, sentient vine creature thing. Like, she has not reformed, you fucking idiot. Like, what the <laughs> hell is wrong with you? In the previous episode, Rachel Ghoul is, like, not thinking straight. And in Batman, in, in Batman in this one isn't thinking straight. Whatever Rache had is rubbed off on Batman for a few minutes. Oh. Must be that rare Egyptian snake. Maybe, venom. maybe it's still affecting him. I don't know. I have to mention, um, why was Robin just flipping all over the place off the right? Rock? That, that's what I was saying earlier. I mean, how can 
know, the thing with the, that bugs me the most about it is that he jumps off of this roof and he lands on his hands. He doesn't land on his feet when he hits the ground. He lands on his hands. His wrists and elbows are broken. I have to watch that again. I, I didn't notice that he lands on his hands. Huh. <laughs> there is no way he has functioning arms after that. <laughs> He's running around in that little secret compartment with his his shoulders like <laughs> flailing behind him. <laughs> oh, Christ. Oh. Can we do our scores now? Yes, we can do our scores. Okay, let's let's go back to uh, what was our first episode today? It seems like it was a day ago. Oh, okay. So, what do you give Sideshow? Um, yeah, I originally had it as a six, but you know, we kept talking about it. I actually upped it to a seven. Okay, I I really adore this episode. I give this one a nine. I really think it's that good, Hmm. Um, mainly because of the emotion that is brought to those one-off characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, a bullet for Bullock? You know, it's a rarity, but I'm going to give it a 10. 100% agree with you right there. Oh, Trial. Well, this one might be our biggest uh, uh, disparity in score since, what was it, uh, Paging the Crime Doctor? Mm-hmm. I'm going to give this one an 8. I am admitting I am being very generous with this episode. Mostly because of the Punisher cameo. And I'm going to give this one a 5. I would probably normally give this one a 4-ish, maybe even a 3. Because, again, i, I got to go back to my statement that it's a clusterfuck. But the Punisher in a pink shirt, that gets a that gets an extra point or two for me. So, anyways, Avatar. Ugh, 2.5. I'm going to go up by just a half a point and give that one a 3. And as I said earlier, maybe I would have given that one a four or a five if it wasn't Rachel Ghoul and Talia. But I really think them, this being the episode to reintroduce them, just, just absolutely killed it. Okay, so lastly, House and Garden. I'll go up a point and say 3.5 on this one. Three from me. Commissioner. Me. I got a problem. And you want my help? Let's get something straight from the get-go. I think you're a freak and a menace, and those are your good points. But the commission says you serve a purpose, so I go along. I appreciate your honesty. Feedback in the form of emails and MP3s can be sent to feedback at worldsfinestpodcast.com. That's feedback at worldsfinestpodcast.com. Next time on World's Finest Podcast, we'll discuss five more episodes from Batman the Animated Series, those being... The Terrible Trio, Harlequinade, Time Out of Joint, Catwalk, and Bane. For James Doe, I'm Michael David Sims saying thank you for listening to World's Finest Podcast. Podcast.